listening to the Private Citizen defending your right to have something to hide. This is episode 109 for Thursday, the 3rd of March, 2022. Agate prop, ahoy! Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Fab, coming to you live from Düsseldorf in Germany, out of quarantine. <laughs> More on that later. Um, yeah, uh, happy to be back. Happy to be here, happy to have you listening to the show. And I will get right into it. Obviously, we're going to talk about Ukraine today. Um, there really is no other topic right now. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to have consequences for all of us. So let's, um, let's, let's do it. Let's get right into the show. Um, right, before I start with the actual topic, uh, let's quickly explain, you know, I'm... Obviously, I took the last. I took. I took a month off, um, writing my novel, which is nearly done. It's not completely done. I've got about two chapters to go. Um, <laughs> when I planned all of this, me being an idiot, I didn't realize that like February is the shortest month in the year, by far. Um, so I fucked up there a little bit. So I, I missed a few days, and I was planning to just you know take like the first days of, 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 of March and just stick it at the end of it and just continue on and finish my novel um, and yeah well that didn't work uh, because um, my wife started having uh, you know cold symptoms and since, since she works in a hospital she immediately had to test herself of course she tests herself regularly of course and um, yeah it turns out she was uh, SARS-CoV-2 positive Um at which point uh, she told me this on the 1st of March, which uh, incidentally, this was uh, bad timing. I mean, it's not her fault, but um, this was our 20th anniversary. This uh, not wedding anniversary. We're not married that long, but we've been together for 20 years uh, on that day. And yeah, so um, I spent, we want to go out, uh, you know, eating dinner and everything. Um, we, we didn't manage to do that. I had to in the, in, instead go out and buy food basically for two weeks and now we're inside and you know in quarantine uh i don't did test myself uh, i just assume i'm gonna get it from her i think you know I've, i started getting some cold symptoms so i think um she infected me too she actually has um some you know some unpleasant symptoms she was feeling quite bad i was joking it wasn't as bad as um as my, you know, whenever I got vaccinated, but you know, basically same th symptoms. Um, thanks, uh, Fadi, by the way. Um, I'm obviously broadcasting this live on Twitch as usual. Fadi's in chat. Uh, Redeemer F, uh, saying welcome back. Uh, happy to be there. Um, thanks for being here too. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. She, uh, she has. She's actually feeling quite. Well, she was feeling quite bad yesterday. Today it's better, but she's now getting the cough. Um, we are hoping that everything's going to be fine. She is in a bit of. Um, uh, you know, she's um, uh, take some medicamentation that uh, means that she's uh, immunosuppressed, which is a bit of an issue. But um, she's also got three um, vaccinations, so it, it's it's looking good. Me, I'm I'm fighting it off. I think um, we've been both been uh, dosing liberally with zinc, obviously, uh, because this also ends up on YouTube. I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice. Obviously, anybody who's listening to this on a podcast, I think, is smart enough to know that. I think everybody watching on YouTube, you know, because I'm live streaming this on Twitch, uploading the recording afterwards, the the live stream to YouTube. I think everybody watching the show is smart enough as well. But I don't think YouTube. Um, think so so uh, we have to say that 
Um, but you know, we several years ago, uh, my wife was a micro uh, a cell biologist. Actually, uh, read some. Um, read a paper she was like looking up flu she was having the flu and she was like what can you actually do when you get the flu and she found some stuff uh some some some, some papers that suggested you know there were ongoing studies that taking zinc uh, helps your immune system and it's kind of debated it's not really uh you know set in stone uh it's also not people don't can't don't really know what the dosage is uh, but we started whenever we, you know, felt like, you know, you know, you got the you got the throat feeling, whatever you're feeling, cold coming on. We start taking zinc in, um, you know, as as high a dose as we could grab, basically, at the drugstore, and uh, it's worked for us uh, incredibly well. So over the last like two years, almost two and a half, maybe three years, I've I've, I've fought off every cold. Usually, I just get sick, and now I just suck in the symptoms i take zinc and it kind of helps um i don't know if that's just i mean it could just be the placebo effect to be honest <laughs> who knows but uh, you know i've been doing that as well now and i'm i'm fighting it off i was i i had some cold symptoms i was feeling uh yesterday i was feeling like i'm maybe really getting sick um but i was i was working yesterday um and on Wednesday, I was actually uh, doing a webinar, and then I actually planned to do this podcast yesterday, so on Wednesday, the usual, usual Wednesday. But then I wasn't, I was feeling okay, but it was getting like, you know, I was feeling some symptoms coming. I was like, I better take it easy. I didn't do the podcast. Today, got up again early, uh, did a webinar, and I was, I'm feeling awesome all day, like normal, you know. And so I've, I've decided to just do this podcast now because, you know, we have to talk about Ukraine. So don't worry about us. We're fine. Um, it's just a bit of a bummer that we have to stay indoors now for a while. But, you know, uh, might as well um, continue with the novel. But I want you to get this this podcast out. And then I'm back now, right? You you can, yeah, I'm, I'm planning for Wednesday episodes from now on. Again, um, I'm going to have to do some extra ones, of course, to catch up. So you can once again expect regular episodes um especially with this ukraine situation i mean before we get in that i might as well um talk about that because uh, it's kind of obvious that this is an ongoing situation so there'll be more episodes about this um uh, fadi says i'm glad to hear you okay yeah i mean there wasn't everybody's been saying that but you know there was actually absolutely no uh you know indication why you know we're, we're young uh we're vaccinated like you know I will, I'm, I'm not worried at all, like a little bit, because Katie's taking those immunosuppressants, but, um, you know, also, uh, not a lot of good doctors, so um, it's 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 got to be fine. Uh, it's just annoying. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, so Ukraine, obviously, ongoing topic, so I feel like there'll be more episodes about this um, in the coming weeks and months, so just be prepared about that. I think it's a very important obviously geopolitical situation but you know it's it's uh, one big aspect i'm going to talk about today obviously is the propaganda aspect which is one of my pet peeves obviously and which is now um in full force this is the hour of the propagandists this is a war which is always when propaganda is at, at its strongest uh, which is why i called this episode agate prop ahoy <laughs> because it's agate props fucking everywhere um I, I got some examples i can talk about from the german media so you know um I don't know how this is going to affect privacy yet, uh, but I've you know I've seen some tech tech angles uh, affecting Russians. 
Um, so I'm going to talk about that, not on this episode, but probably on a, on a future episode. But we're also going to talk about other episodes. I got a list of stuff I wanted to talk about um, that I kept uh, in March. But obviously now this is just, once again, something changed and you're going to have to address this first. But, you know, just so you know, lots of episodes coming. Um, lo- lots of lots of stuff coming in the future. Um so uh, just just buckle in. I've got some some grog. I made myself some grog. Um, you know, I thought maybe a little bit of alcohol now on the upswing. It's gonna help, um, and also it's gonna help my voice. My voice is a bit rough. Also, if I just cough, I'm gonna try to avoid it. I'm gonna probably try to cut it out of the show. But if I just uncontrollably cough today, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, it's actually coughing has been has been that bad for me but you know just just so you know it's a fucking wuhan flu what can you do yeah that rhymes (laughs) um yes so um let's get into the main topic and of course first i'm gonna have to get something out of the way um yeah i want to explain um something um about uh war and my stance on on war this is something that i really feel if you know me and if you've been listening to me on podcasts for years now you probably know this um and you you probably assume this but you know there's people there's new people listening to the show all the time and um at least that's what i assume based on the i'm not collecting that much information on my listeners but you know what i can infer from the server data lots of people from russia listen to the show by the way I don't know if that's going to change, but, you know, there's another reason why I want to, you know, address this topic. But, um, uh, yeah, so new people, so I want to explain something so you know where I'm coming from, right? So, uh, I, I want, I, I'm not a, I'm not a pacifist, I would say. Um, I used to be one, uh, when I was very young, of, yeah, when I was younger, I was, I was more naive. Um, I used to think that we should get rid of the German army and stuff like that. I don't believe that anymore, especially after studying politics and history, which which you will hear later. Um, I'm going to go into that. You'll you'll hear my where I'm coming from there. But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a pacifist. I am, however, um, I'm a realist basically. You know, I'm I'm a strong follower of Realpolitik, so the Bismarck kind of school of um, politics uh, as the art of the possible. Um, so I, you know. I, I, I accept that war exists um, and that you, we can't get rid of it. But anyway, so so I, I but anyway, I want to make a strong statement here and saying that I'm against any wars, um, un- unconditionally. Uh, I'm against supporting people wage wars, either by sending them weapons or sending them money, and by that I mean I, it doesn't matter on what side they're on. Right? I I'm I think this is probably also. Um, I mean, I've talked a little bit about this um, on uh, episode 100, right? Um, so if you go to, oh, I haven't said this today. If you go to the show notes, Private Citizen of Press, obviously the episode links is all the episodes. And there I did an episode 100 where I um, talked a little bit about myself and where I'm coming from and, and stuff like that. And um, I think I talked about that in, in that episode. I mean, as a German, I have a quite a nuanced view for example of world war ii which um of course um i'm I'm very thankful to the uh you know the the uk 
the US and the Russians for defeating the Nazis and liberating Germany. Um, you know, so that also, that already gives me an understanding of why wars sometimes are necessary, even though I'm generally opposed against all wars. But, you know, sometimes, you know, I think they have to be fought. Um, and um, But on the other hand, you know, my grandfather uh, was in that war and he obviously was a uh, on, on the German side. He was uh, in the Waffen-SS. Um, so... Uh, you know why? Obviously, don't condone anything the Nazis did. I, you know, I can't escape the fact that my own grandfather um, was in, you know, was on the side of the Nazis and uh, and and suffered greatly uh, in that war. Um, I've only met him a few years uh, before he died, and it was obvious he was an alcoholic. He was his body. You know, he was he was still having. He still had a piece of grenade shrapnel in his body. Um, you know, when I when I knew him before he died, um, you know, in his in his eighties, basically, um, late seventies, eighties, um, and you know, he died eventually of complications from that, but also from just fucking alcoholism. Um, but so you know, um, I also can't escape the fact that if my grandfather would have been killed in that war, uh, in that you know, justified war, you could say, uh, you know, if he was. Being, if you would have been shot by a Russian soldier, then I wouldn't be here today. Simple as that. Um, so you know that. So I have a nuanced, uh, nuanced war. I have a nuanced view of these things. Um, you know, of wars and and politics. Um, but you know, generally, of course, I'm I, I am very much opposed uh, to wars. Uh, but I also studied history and politics for a long time. Didn't get a degree, but I spent a lot of time. Uh, studying it and I'm you know I think I learned quite a lot um, and um, wars just are a fact of life and I think they forever will be I don't think we'll ever get rid of them and um, as, as Clausewitz a very smart man a Prussian like me uh, once famously said was the continuation of politics by other means and that is very very true and that is currently uh, exactly what you're seeing, seeing in Ukraine and so I, I think to understand politics, you know, and by extension history, because, you know, politics turns into history um, after a um, few decades, um, you have to understand war. And you cannot, um, you can condemn it. And I, I personally think you should. Um, I mean, I, um, you know, back when I was uh, turning 18, um, I was going to be conscripted into the German army where we had, you know, we used to have for a long time as a, as a man. Uh, you know, uh, if you had a penis, uh, you had to spend a year uh, in basic training in the army. And I, I, I actually objected. You could object and you could do civilian service. And um, I wanted to do that. And because they um, declared me unfit for medical reasons, I then, or for a while, you know, and then went to university and started studying. And then they actually wanted to draft me again. And I actually fought that through. So I'm actually what we in Germany call ausgemustert. I am I'm not fit for medical service, uh, for military service. Which means if war breaks out, um, if war breaks out, they can call in everybody. If they, if they ins reinst you know, instate uh, a draft or like a general call to arms, then every um, male, uh, who, like the ones who used to be uh, in the army, have to go. Uh, and join the army and the other ones who did civilian service have to, to join civilian help organizations. I'm actually one of the uh, probably, I don't know, few percentage points of the German male population who actually, I can do whatever I want. 
And if you're part of that, but if the war breaks out, they're not going to let you out of the country, right? Um, I can just leave, <laughs> which I will would, would do if the Russians attack. Uh, I'd be the first one out of here. I'm not somebody. I'm not for patriotism, um, you know. So I, I, I don't, I don't consider myself a, a pacifist because I would go quite far to protect me and mine, right? I, I would protect my family um, if if we'd be attacked right here and you gave me. You handed me a G36 rifle, I would fucking shoot anybody who comes close, um, but I would not fight for my country. Um, I think that is that is dumb. Um, you know, I, I, I would fight for, for people I love, basically. And I would probably try to flee because, you know, from my what I know, from what I've learned from my grandparents... Um, that that is the thing to do if you want to survive, get the fuck out of there. Um, you know you can call me coward now, but I can live with that. Um, so yes, um, but you know, so I think you should condemn war, but you shouldn't surprise that it's happening. Um, I'm, I'm seeing something, um, which uh, I've the thing I found quite disconcerting. So this has been going for a week now. And when this war broke out a week ago, the German foreign minister, um, uh, Annalena Baerbock, who wanted to be chancellor back in the day, I talked about her, she's the green, uh, she's the woman who said we should store uh, the energy in the grid. Um, So I I personally don't think she's very smart. Um, So she was actually on the the front line of the conflict. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But she was was actually there a few weeks before this broke out. And when it broke out, she was one of the politicians. There were several German politicians, including our chancellor, who basically said, this is unprecedented. Um, We cannot understand how this happened. Like, we were really surprised. Um, And and I I personally think any politician who said that uh, should be fired immediately. Uh, because I, first of all, as we learned, uh, you know, in the in the in the in the last week, uh, the BND, our exterior intelligence service, obviously, obviously knew that the Russians were amassing an army on the border, um, and they knew this war was going to break out, which was kind of obvious. Um, and you know, you can I don't think you can be chancellor of Germany or foreign minister if you go. I'm surprised by war breaking out. I mean, what, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I mean. Sorry, like do, these people. Uh, so I, I, I said controversially, I got a lot of flack for this, but I, I believe this. I think this is a problem because we elected people who know more about gender policy than they know about foreign policy. Uh, and if you actually read the Green Party program for the last election, uh, there's a lot of about gender uh, equality in there, uh, and you know all that kind of stuff, and and very little about diplomacy with the Russians and de-escalating and, and the war in Ukraine. Because, come on, I mean, first of all, those politicians should be fired. All the journalists should be fired who wrote the headline, there's war in Europe, right? And some of them, there's like the first war in Europe in 30 years. Like, what the fuck? Like, you didn't notice, like, uh, you know, Yugoslavia? <laughs> like, what? You know, the Chechen... I mean, I don't. Okay, yeah, is that is that Europe? Okay, you could you could argue that, but yeah, I mean Yugoslavia. Come on, and then the fucking war in Ukraine has been going on for eight years. This war, I mean, the, the invasion is new, of course, but this war broke out in 2014. I mean, there's been there, there were, you know, Baerbock was at the front line in the trenches. They were writing about the fucking trenches in 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 the in the newspapers. I mean, there's been war in Europe. 
for eight years. What what are you talking about? Like what what is this shit? Who are these people? Why are they so dumb? Um, I think it's either some, sometimes they're being dumb and sometimes propaganda. It's it's really hard to figure out right now. Um, uh, Terrestrial Jim's also in chat says, "Yeah, not fighting seems the sanest, probably healthiest option." Um, yeah, also it's like you know. Um, uh, it's you know you, you you could you can say it's it's cowardly, uh, but you know if 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 you don't want war, right? You'd <laughs> that's the option, right? Not fighting is the option that that you would take. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't defend myself and my my family. Of course, I would, as I said, you know, quite vig vigorously, um, you know. Even 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 if there's no war, I would do that if if they're threatened. But um, yeah, uh, you can't have it both ways. Um, but anyway, let's get let's get right into it. Let's let's talk a little bit about. Uh, so I I first want to before I talk about what's going on in Ukraine right now, which is going to be like the shortest segment I think because we actually don't know that much. Um, from reliable sources. But I first want to talk a little bit about the historic context. Then I want to talk about the geopolitical context, which is the important thing right now. And then we're going to talk about a little bit where we're at as of today in this war. So let's first, because I'm a historian and I think everything's based on history and that's very important. Uh, let's first look at the historic context. <laughs> Um, let's start with something, speaking about propaganda, right? Let's talk about something that is either brazen propaganda or incredibly dumb. So um, on the uh, 22nd of February, uh, the U.S. Embassy in Kiev uh, posted uh, a meme, basically. This is a picture. I put it in the show notes, private citizen the press. Um, oh, uh, uh, something we have to go into as well. Uh, El Terrestrium says it wasn't officially declared war. So that's probably the distinction the press makes. Actually, um, I've actually, uh, I don't know if I talked about this on this podcast before, uh, certainly on previous podcasts. That's actually a thing. There are no officially declared wars in air quotes again uh, anymore, right? Um, so people. That the one of the things that the press was saying, my colleagues in the press were saying they likened this to the uh, assault of Hitler on Poland, uh, because you know it was it happening in the middle of the night and it was not a declared war. Ever since World War II, there have been no declared wars. Same as we're not like when we're waging a war, right? This isn't like the fucking 1800s anymore. We're not lining up in lines. The, we're not lining up the infantry in lines, and then some guy goes. Shoot! And then everybody, like, they all line up and then, then they shoot and then they reload, <laughs> you know, and then they shoot again and then there's another command and they run at each other with bayonets or whatever. We don't do that anymore. Same way, you're not telling your enemy that you're coming. <laughs> you know, nobody's doing that anymore. Also, like this, they attacked in the middle of the night. I mean, seriously, when else? You're not attacking in broad daylight. You want the whole day. So you attack in the morning. I think the lesson we're learning here is that these, uh, that these journalists should listen to more Sabaton songs because, you know, you listen to a song like Back in Control, Sabaton explains very clearly <laughs> why you, you know, you lay in wait in the night and then you attack in the morning. It's, it's obvious. I mean, 
you don't have to be military military historian to understand these things it's quite it's quite weird like what what did they expect the russians to do like send somebody to parley first <laughs> on a horse like putting himself on oh by the way i would like to say i would like to declare sir that uh we are in the process of uh, attacking you so this is a formal declaration of war i brought it here it's it's uh, it's three copies uh, you can keep one they, we one we sent to den haag uh you know to the to the court of justice or whatever and one we're keeping so um i'm gonna write back and then you're gonna have an hour and then we're gonna start the war and now, by the way, we're, we're starting with the bombardment of this city, and then we're moving on to, like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, Fadi says, but in Crusader Kings, you always need a ca castle spell line. Well, you know, we can talk about the castle spell line in this case. Um, I think, I, I don't know what this would be called in Crusader Kings, uh, but there definitely is a castle spell line where you, uh, where something has used to be your territory, right? Uh, this, this would be, this would be the case. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, um, and not declaring doesn't make the shooting and shelling less deadly. Uh, Jim points out, yes, indeed. But anyway, so the U.S. Embassy in Kiev. I put, put this picture in the show notes, but I'm going to explain it. Um, Private citizen oppressed. They posted a, a meme which is Kiev 19, uh, 996, Kiev 10, 10, 11, 10, 70, 11, 08, So the years, and there's pictures of like you know the Desatiana Church, Saint Sophia's Cathedral, Vidubici Monastery. Never heard of that. St. Michael's Golden Door Monastery. That's the top row. The bottom row is the same years, and it's Moscow, and there's just a picture of a forest, right? And this is kind of like, you know, Moscow is kind of like Berlin, right? Moscow is a, uh, a city that was relatively late in history, you know, artificially created pretty much. Um, but this is either very dumb or it's very brazen propaganda, but it's it's it, either way it's dumb because it's basically made making Putin's um, case for him. And this is this is almost stereotypically American. This is just like you would you would sorry to all my American listeners, but it's just like we in Europe think you Americans behave. You're like, look, Kiev, Kiev was around in nine nine six, and uh, Moscow wasn't even there yet. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's because basically back then Kiev was the capital of Russia. Um, well, not really that, but I'm gonna explain uh, where we're coming from. So if you I post this on Twitter as a reply. So if you do not understand this, and you know, why would you? You know, you might not be into Russian history. I just, you know, know this because I looked it up and I read at, at, about it some at some point. Probably heard about it in school, whatever. But you know, um, back in the ancient times, uh, there was a. If I say state, it's going to be misunderstood. But you know, this was like I'm uh, going to look this up. So this is like the late ninth century. Um, there was a thing called the Kievan Rus, right? And this is where Kiev um, takes its name from. Kiev was, well, it takes the name from Kiev. Kiev was once the capital of, of Kievan, Kievan Rus, um, which uh, was the basis for what later became Russia. Um, so I'm quoting here from Wikipedia a little bit. Kievan Rus was a loose federation of East Slavic, Baltic, and Finnic peoples in Eastern and Northern Europe from the late 9th to the mid-13th century. Under the reign of the Rurik dynasty, founded by the Varangian prince Rurik, uh, yeah, under the, yeah, founded by the Varangian prince Rurik. Now, the Varangians are Vikings, 
right? They are the uh, part of the Vikings. There's a good song, you know, again, metal. Uh, there's a song by Hulkov, I think, about this. Um, so the Varangians, um, they uh, they crossed the Baltic and and went basically went 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 down the rivers, um, and then went to, towards the Black Sea, and they they started settling what is now Ukraine uh, and parts of Russia. Yeah, the um, so you know uh, they uh, once again the Vikings raping and pillaging, uh, you know starting actually starting. Um, actually, Jonathan, hello, Jonathan, also in chat, says, uh, was about to say, Holkov, yeah. So you can learn a lot about history by listening to metal. Um, so basically, the Vikings went uh, marauding down there. Uh, the modern nations of Belarus, Russia, 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 you know, it's called Russia because of the Rus, uh, and Ukraine all claim Kievan Rus as their cultural ancestors, with Belarus and Russia deriving their names from it. Prior to the emergence of Kievan Ruth in the 9th century AD, the lands between the Baltic Sea and Black Sea were primarily populated by Eastern Slavic tribes. Controversy persists over whether the Rus were Varangians or Slavs, with the current scholarly consensus holding that they were an ancestrally Norse people that quickly assimilated into Slavic culture. This uncertainty is due largely to a paucity of contemporary sources. Attempts to address this question instead rely on archaeological evidence, the accounts of foreign observers and legends and literature legends and literature from centuries later. To some extent, the controversy is related to the foundation myth of modern states in the region. Um, um, uh, sorry, I'm just... Uh, Jim is, uh, is saying something here. Um, you know, I like the live feedback, so I'm gonna, gonna have a look here. Uh, it says in Twitch chat, uh, my favorite story of a tour guide in Cambridge was the answer to an American couple asking if some buildings... Some building or other was or war. <laughs> uh, I don't even get this building is pre-America. Oh, pre-war was pre-war. Uh, this this building is pre-America. <laughs> yes, uh, very much. Sorry, I, I couldn't. I was misreading it. But anyway, yes. Um, let's stop making fun of Americans. You know, they're not all like that. <laughs> but you know, um, it, it's, it's also not people's fault i guess it's the fucking education system and our education system over here is uh, we we are we're click we're quickly uh, joining uh, the, the ranks of those uh, i mean people that get educated these days in germany are not much better i feel anyway let's continue with a little bit of this history lesson the gradual disintegration so this is how it fall apart fell apart right i don't really want to go into what kievan Rus was and what happened there but um the gradual disintegration of the Kievan Rus began in the 11th century after the death of Yaroslav the Wise. If you read this, you can already tell, right? These are sound like Russians, you know, because, you know, Slavs, because basically this is what Russia turned into. Uh, the position of the Grand Prince of Kiev was weakened by the growing influence of regional clans. The state finally disintegrated under the pressure of the Mongol invasion of Rus, fragmenting it into successor principalities who paid tribute to the Golden Horde, the so-called Tatar yoke. So this is when the, you know, the Mongols arrived. If you're an American, this is basically the uh, Karl Drogo people from Game of Thrones, right? That's it's based on the on the Mongols. Uh, in the late 15th century, the Muscovite Grand Dukes began taking over former Kievan territories. So you can hear Muscovite, right? This is where where Moscow comes in. Um, began taking over former Kievan ter- 
Kievan territories and proclaimed themselves the sole legal successor of the Kievan principality, according to the protocols of the medieval theory of Translati Translatio Imperii. This is like how the, uh, you know, the Roman Empire became the home, Holy Roman Empire became the German Empire. You know, or how people said, you know, that's kind of an opinion, basically. Um, on the western periphery, Kievan Rus was succeeded by the Principality of Galicia, Volhynia. Later, as these territories, now part of modern central Ukraine and Belarus, fell to the Gendimanids, the powerful, large, largely Ruthenized Grand Duchy of Lithuania drew heavily on Rus culture and legal traditions. On the northeastern periphery of Kievan Rus, traditions were adopted. So, one of these traditions is like the, um, um, uh, was it pra uh, Prada? Oh God, what was this again? Uh, uh, God, now I have to look this up. Pra Kevin, was it uh, Ruskaya Ruskaya Pravda, which is kind of like the it's like a legal tradition, right? It's like the um, the Carolingian legal code in Germany. It's like basically what what a lot of the Russian legal uh, tradition is based on, if I understand this correctly um, on the northeastern periphery of Kievan Rus traditions were adapted in the Vladimir Suzdal principality that gradually gravitated towards Moscow to the very north the Novgorod and Pskov feudal republics were less autocratic than Vladimir Suzdal Moscow until they were absorbed by the Grand Duchy of Moscow Russian historians consider Kievan Rus the first period of Russian history and this is this is the important point um it is um the 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 territory of where modern ukraine is or largely modern ukraine is is where basically russian culture started when the vikings came and mixed with the slavs and this is all long before anything called ukraine existed right because in, in in stark contrast to this, uh, Ukraine as a state. Oh God, I got a typo in the show notes. I just noticed. I don't even have the the source for the show notes open. I'm, you can tell I haven't done this in a while. I'm not prepared, so uh, I'm gonna have to waffle here a little bit. Because if I don't do this now, uh, I'm gonna completely uh, forget about this. So let's fix the show notes on the on the go. Right. So you know. Contrasting this, Ukraine as a state uh, only exists since 1917. And for a, a modern nation state that is incredibly young. And I say that as a German. The German nation state was founded in 1871. So there were a lot of people who considered themselves German before for centuries. But a state, uh, Germany, is, is very young, which caused a lot of problems in history. Basically caused two world wars because the Germans were hundreds of years behind of having their own nation state. And then they, um, you know, compensated by being overeager. Or oh, that is my reading of history. Um, so so Ukraine is fairly young. Um, and there was a Ukrainian state. And they tried to, um, so after World War I, um, when the Russian Revolution was happening, um, Ukraine tried to win its independence in the Soviet-Ukraine war from 1970 to 1971. Um, but eventually they lost and the Bolsheviks, so back then it wasn't really the Soviets yet, it was the Bolsheviks, um, they won uh, and they, they conquered Ukraine and they integrated it. And 
basically modern Ukraine exists because Lenin, uh, not John uh, John Lenin, right? Lenin, Lenin, uh, the Russian, you know, the, the, the socialist thinker and and statesman. Um, Lenin um, recognized the Ukrainian national spirit that that was that was growing strong and he when integrating ukraine in he didn't make it a part of russia so the soviets made it uh a a socialist republic uh, an independent socialist republic as part of the ussr um and this is going to be important later so uh so this is how ukraine basically came to be because if the russians had just like destroyed you know, if the czars, if this would have been the czars, right, they would have probably crushed all resistance and and tried to stamp out the Ukrainian national spirit, deported everybody who was like in the street protesting that Ukraine should be their own country, and and Ukraine would now just be a territory of Russia. Um, but because the the uh, the Bolsheviks, were, you know, they were very realpolitik-minded uh, people, and they didn't care so much about. Uh, nationalities really as they care about classes um, they made it its own independent country which is why when the Soviet Union fell apart um, it became its own country but anyway let's let's read a little bit um, from Wikipedia on this Um, so about the Soviet-Ukrainian war the end of the war saw the incorporation of most of the territories of Ukraine into the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic which on December 30th 1922 was one of the founding members of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics the USSR Parts of Western Ukraine fell under the control of the Polish Republic as laid out in the Peace of Riga. For the next few years, the Ukrainian nationalists would continue to to try to wage a partisan guerrilla war on the Soviets. Um, They were aided by Polish intelligence. See Prometheism. However, they were not successful. The last active Ukrainian movements would be mostly eradicated during the Holodomor. That was like the genocide on the... Uh, Ukrainian people where 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 Stalin starved them all to death, <laughs> pretty much because he was like, okay, you have all the wheat, we need the wheat in Moscow, you're gonna starve. Um, now, there's this claim, this is Russian propaganda about Nazis in Ukraine, of course there are Nazis everywhere, uh, but um, this this goes down to in the World War Two actually uh, some Ukrainian nationalists fought with the Nazis, and actually uh, uh, perversely enough there were. Uh, battalions that included uh, Jewish sh- soldiers who actually were killing Jews. They were ga- gassing Jews and shooting them, but they were made up of, you know, a significant amount of Jew- Jewish people themselves. Um, then later, when they saw that the Nazis wouldn't like liberate Ukraine, actually turned. Um, so these these Ukrainian nationalists turned on the Nazis and then fought with the Soviets against the Nazis later. Um, but still, there's still, you know, there's still a um, that that organization that was founded back then still exists and played an active role also in the Euro Maiden protest, which we're going to talk about later a little bit. Um, so keep that in mind. History just, you know, there's these threads that you have to have to follow. Um, Um, Jonathan says, I mean, I don't think it is too relevant for contemporary events. Latvia is similar, young, and it's fine on its own. It's just tiny. Nobody cares about it. Um, looking forward to where this goes, though. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a judgment to say that this country is young. It's just it's for context, right? Um, I mean, we were joking earlier with Jim about like the um, 
uh, or or Fadi, I think, uh, with the with the Casus Belli, right? So there is there is a feeling that you know um, sometimes you can you can turn over these things. Like in history, people get the idea, right? This country is really young. We could we could roll this back. Um, you know, we could we could. It used to be a part of our country, and let's capture it again. And I think that is a big part of the uh, the Russian impetus in this case. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Important to remember, uh, so the modern Ukrainian state, like Russia, uh, is deriving its origins and its culture from Kievan Rus. Um, but the actual modern, the actual Ukrainian state of this was founded in 1991 after the Soviet Union fell apart. And that's the state that is currently being attacked by Russia. Um, but it's important to understand that, you know, something the U.S. embassy didn't understand or, I don't know, didn't want to understand, I don't know what's well, something, or wanted to, to overplay with that propaganda, was that, you know, in the back in the day, they, there used to be no Russia and there used to be no Ukraine and Kiev used to be the capital of something called the Kievan Rus and that is where Russian culture developed from. And, of course, you know, there was uh, there was Ukraine, basically Ukrainian culture. So the people who lived there in Kiev, uh, who were Russians for a time or whatever, proto-Russians or you know, uh, and then later on also Russians for a time, um, they at at some point developed their own national spirit, which people you know seem to do, uh, and that's where this conflict is is coming from. Um, so um, yeah, let's 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 move on from history and uh, let's talk about. What brought us to this war? And this is something I used to have a a, prof, uh, a professor when I was studying history, who uh, this is who who basically banked it in our heads uh, in every talk he gave. It's all about geopolitics. It's all about geopolitics. Geopolitics. Ge actually, my wife. I remember my wife was actually in a in one of the courses. I used to visit her courses sometimes in uni and um, when she came to Bonn in Düsseldorf, even when I was in school, she was studying in Düsseldorf back at the time. And I, I visited her courses and then we I, we moved together in Bonn and uh, I still sometimes went to her course because I found biology interesting. Back in the day, you could do that, right? You could just go, I don't know, probably not how it works today. Uh, today, everything's regulated and, and counted and whatever, even before the pandemic. But she used to... Uh, sometimes visit history uh, classes I was taking. And she was actually laughing because the guy was afterwards, she was, she was like, we were going to a cafe or whatever. She's like, what is this guy just kept, kept saying geopolitics? I didn't even know that was a word. <laughs> like geopolitics, 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 very important. Because that's very important, we're now going to talk about the geopolitical, geopolitical context. Oh, and uh, there's another disclaimer I wanted to actually get out of the way in the beginning, which I forgot about. Uh, one thing, I always like to make clear where I'm coming from, right? Um, because we all have our biases. I've talked about this a lot. So just to make very clear where I'm coming from, um, just by virtue of my um, path in life, I, I know no Ukrainians. Um, I don't think I've actually spoken to a lot of Ukrainians in my life. Um, I know one person who is half Ukrainian, half Russian, uh, but that's obviously a very different situation she's in, so I don't count her as really as a purely Ukrainian. Um, and the only other Ukrainian people I ever talked to, as far as I know, are when I was on the road and on the side of the autobahn. Uh, so sometimes, you know, I just spend a few hours there to, or half an hour, whatever, to recover from driving because I drive a lot, and it's just good to do so you don't, you don't 
kill yourself. Um, I sometimes talk to truckers because I like truckers and there are a lot of Ukrainian truckers. So I talk to quite a few Ukrainian truckers in my life, but that's basically it. Uh, on the other hand, I know a lot of Russians. Um, good friend in school of mine, she was Russian. Um, I still remember uh, going to her place in, on, on the weekend and we had this assignment we had to do over the weekend for school and uh, we were in groups of two and I was doing it with her. So she was like, oh, come over for breakfast and I introduced you to my family and I went over there and I get there for breakfast and like the, what I see is people eating raw fish and drinking vodka for breakfast. Just, they were like, here, have a vodka. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that was. I like 11th grade, no, 12th grade or something. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, <coughs> I know um, a lot more Russians than you Ukrainians. Just, just to point out, I might be biased towards Russians. Also, I, uh, I, I play, I play the Russian faction in uh, Escape from Tarkov. So, so, so much for that. Um, Jonathan says, if you want to talk to some, I have some coworkers that probably would be up for an interview. Definitely, you can set that up. You have my contact data. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about Ukraine for a long time here and I, I would love to have I definitely I would love to have input from somebody from Ukraine on this whole situation um, if you can set that up please do um, I'd be I'd be very grateful for that anyway uh, let's go into the geopolitical context this is obviously how I see things obviously but um, so um, I think ever since the Cold War has ended um, NATO has been very clearly expanding its political influence eastwards and they're trying to uh, to make countries part of uh, NATO and of their sphere of influence, which used to be in the Russian sphere of influence and, and quite firmly in the grip of Russia uh, in the Cold War. And I think the aim here is to minimize Russia's sphere of influence. Um, and basically, I think what they're trying to do is, you have to understand, this is very important, um, this is what many people don't understand. The USSR, so the Soviet Union, wasn't like Russia, right? There was a federation that was like basically the Russian state. And then there were independent countries, like republics usually, you know, the, as we just talked about, the Ukrainian Socialist Republic, the Polish, Repu the Polish People's Republic. These were part of the USSR, which was like a, kind of like, you know, I don't know, the, the it's not like states in the U.S., you know, but for all intents and purposes, that was like the state, right? The USSR was comparable to the U.S., but they weren't Russian. They were part of Russia, right? Like half of Germany used to be like a, a socialist republic. That wasn't part of Russia, but it belonged to the USSR. And this is something Stalin very deliberately did. Taking a, uh, a cue from Lenin, he realized in realpolitik when he was consolidating the Soviet state, when Lenin had died and he was like, actually, you know, people were starving and he had a lot of problems because their government was shit because, you know, basically the socialists put people, I think I talked about this in the socialism episode at some point, they put people into the government who had fucking no idea. They were like writers. They were like journalists. And they said like, you, you are now in charge of feeding the people. And they were idiots and they didn't know how to do it. So they had a lot of problems. But what Stalin did is he realized that he couldn't make these countries part of Russia, but he couldn't make them independent per se and give them, you know, with that came their right to govern themselves in a in a in in, in certain guidelines, right? Um, and and make them part of the Soviet Union. And what he did is he created, if you look at Russia on the map, 
he created a ring of like buffer countries around Russia. Um, you know, the so-called Iron Curtain was like the border to that, right? So it it extended to East Germany. And I've created, uh, because I couldn't find, for my life, I couldn't find an illustration that showed this. And I literally spent two fucking hours today to, because, you know, the fucking uh, NATO expansion and everything is, is very, very complicated. So I think I've sorted it out now. I, I've created a uh, an, um, an illustration on data mapper. Mapper. There's a, a picture in the show notes, and you can click on it, and you get the interactive data mapper version. You know where the, you can highlight the countries, and it tells you what country it is. Um, but if you look at it, if you look at this picture in the show notes, and you know, I, I sorry, I, I'm gonna have, I'm trying to explain this if you listen to the podcast, but you'll have to look at this. Basically, um, what you see in red is Russia. I mean, these are the uh, the, the countries as they exist today. Um, so you have Russia, and then in orange you have Ukraine, which is where currently the war is being fought. Um, and then you have uh, two countries in dark orange, and those, um, so aside from the USSR, uh, there was also the Warsaw Pact. The Warsaw Pact was a military alliance like NATO that included some countries that weren't in the USSR but were, you know, Soviet-aligned. And so we have Belarus. Actually, actually, I need the I need the fucking uh, thing where I can highlight the. I need the interactive version. So you have what what is today is Moldova uh, and and Belarus, and they actually I think Belarus was obviously Belarus was part of Russia. I think actually part of the Russian. uh, Anyway, so these are um, I labeled them for easy understanding. They're like um, ex uh, formerly Warsaw Pact countries. Um, and then you have a ring of brown countries. And you have a little red thing up there that is the uh, Russian enclave. Is that, uh, is that what is that called? Is that, is that Königsberg? I always get that. Is that still called Königsberg? Now I have to look look this up uh, on, on Google Maps because I always get that wrong. Um, Kaliningrad, sorry. Kaliningrad. Was that, was that, wasn't that called Königsberg? So I, I, I studied, um, you know, the 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 the, the 1900s, uh, the 1800s mostly. Um, yeah, it was it used to be called Königsberg. So I always know the, the old names. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's part of Russia. It's like a Russian enclave, which they actually can't get to right now by air because it's locked down. Um, but you know, you have this ring of that I colored brown, the brown countries, and these are countries that used to be in the Warsaw Pact. These are the buffer countries, right? Okay, the the you know the the Baltic countries actually used to be part of the Soviet Union up there, uh, but now you know I labeled them Warsaw Pact because Soviet Union wasn't the Warsaw Pact, so it's correct. So these are the buffer countries mostly, like Poland. I've I've, I've colored Germany green because Germany obviously was cut in half, and the east part was Warsaw Pact, and the the west part was NATO. Um, two countries, you know, the German Federal Republic and the German. Um, Democratic Republic, so the socialist state. And uh, th- th- these brown countries are, this is the buffer zone, right? So basically what the, what Stalin did, what the Russians did here was like, uh, if we, uh, if there's a conventional war, like if, if nuclear war bets off, the conventional war, uh, we have learned from history, you know, World War II, Napoleon, all that shit, that um, 
if they get to the border of Russia and then attack from there, you can get to Moscow way too quickly, especially with tanks. So we need this buffer zone, right? These are basically countries that we can give up on <laughs> that will get invaded. And by the, the time it takes them to drive their fucking tanks through there, even if they completely catch us off guard, we can mobilize and we can kick them back because, you know, again, Sabaton, Defense of Moscow, um, it's actually a song by Radio Tapok, I think. It's a cover. Uh, it's a great song. You know, uh, Moscow will never fall. Um, so you can, you can, we, we can do that. Uh, interestingly, uh, NATO uh, basically had the same plan with Germany, which is why I <laughs> always, when I when I hear about NATO defending Germany, I find it's kind of a joke because their 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 official plan. Uh, in the Cold War was basically to give up the northern German lowlands, so the Norddeutsche Tiefebene, which is basically, um, if you look at the map of Germany, like the bottom half is full of mountains or some mountains, and then the top half is very flat. You know, that's where where um, Schleswig-Holstein is, Lower Saxony, Hamburg, Bremen, um, East Frisia, all of that, you know, all of basically all of that up to Berlin, and, and, and they would have given all of that up and all everything east uh, of the Fulda Gap. So the Fulda Gap is like a gap in the mountains down in the south, in the middle of Germany there, but in the south um, where you can basically, um, that's where you would drive the tra- tanks through um, if you're attacking from, what would that be, the what's now the Czech Republic, right? If you come in from there. Um, so they they would have basically given up half of Germany, and I th- I still think that is, I, as far as I know, even after the Cold War, this is the operational plan from NATO. Um, this is why the a big uh, U.S. base is in Frankfurt uh, because from there you're defending the the, the Fulda Gap, right? Um, and there are no real. I mean, there's a training base in the Lüneburg Keith, but there are no bases in the northern lowlands, right? Because you just give that up. That's just like your buffer zone. Um, we're talking conventional war, and that that would still be the uh, the NATO defense of Germany. So we'd be giving up half of now half of the country because you know Eastern Germany is not part of Germany um, and Berlin. Obviously, I mean this is why the uh, not the capital the capital was always Berlin, but that's why the um, the government used to be in Bonn, right, on in the west because you want to defend that. You can defend that. Um, Sorry, it's, it's always been a joke to me. But anyway, so you have, that's why Germany's green on this map. You have blue is like the original. That's like the NATO countries, you know, during the Cold, Cold War. And then you have some lighter blue countries. This is like, um, this used to be like uh, mostly Yugoslavia, which obviously fell apart. And some of the countries joined NATO. Um, so if you look at, at this map, um, everything that's orange red and brown in the Cold War used to be Russian. This used to be the Russian sphere of influence. Right? Everything that's blue used to be NATO, uh, except the light blue ones. Right? That used to be all uh, unaligned, uh, uh, neutral. Um, and Germany obviously was cut off. So now you can see that basically if you're Russian and you're thinking like purely, you know, you're not thinking humanitarian and you don't want wars, you're thinking geopolitically. You're like a war could break out and we need to defend our country. And we're talking purely conventional war here. Um, then what the, the line, the line of defense moved from where the Iron Curtain was 
So basically from the from like let's even say let's say Germany is united. Let's let's take Germany out. It basically moved from the eastern border of Germany, right? So from the Polish Czech border. That's where the line of defense used to be to now Ukraine and Belarus. Right? And 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 the Russians, when I say the Russians, I mean some Russians. You know, obviously there's lots of Russians opposed to this war. Um, I'm, I'm betting a lot of them are listening to this podcast, but you know, <laughs> you know, for for easier, uh, I'm not I'm not blaming all of the Russians, obviously. But you know, if you're thinking as somebody who's a Russian military strategist, you're thinking if you're thinking like Vladimir Putin, you're thinking what you want to do is you don't want Russia Russia f- like splintered apart after the Soviet Union fell apart. Like the the sphere of influence, not Russia. Russia is, uh, you know, almost. I mean, Ukraine is oh, right, but you know, let's let's look at the Soviet Union. Russia is pretty much the same size, but what they lost is all the buffer countries, so all the parts that used to be part of the Soviet Union. And then lots of people are saying uh, Putin wants to reinstate the Soviet Union. I don't think he does, he wants to. I think that's wildly unrealistic. And I think the guy is, if anything, he's uh, he's scrupulous and uh, and an asshole. Um, but I think he is very, very realistic. He's a he is a realpolitik guy, which is what he has, I feel, in common. I think he's playing a whole different chess game than people like uh, uh, Olaf Scholz, who have no idea what they're saying. Like either they were surprised by this, or for some reason they're pretending they're surprised by this war. So like you know, Putin's playing on a whole another level. You could argue that Merkel know what knew what she was doing, but I don't think the current. European politicians know what they're doing. For that matter, I don't think Joe Biden does. But, um, you know, that's another uh, discussion for another day. But um, I think he knows that that's not possible, right? You you, you cannot get Poland back. Um, right? You cannot get Hungary back, stuff like that. Uh, the Czech Republic. And I don't think he wants to. I think, but I think when Ukraine was in danger of now also flipping and now also becoming uh, brown, for that matter. And we're saying, okay, then it's Ukraine and then it's Belarus, and then NATO is basically um, on the on the border of Russia. And you know, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. We had um, one of our Russian producers pointing out that, of course, NATO always had a direct border with Russia uh, up there, Finland, right, and also in Germany. The inner German border was the direct border between Germany, uh, between NATO and the Warsaw Pact. Um, but I think here people are already, they're also misunderstanding um, the difference between the Soviet Union and Russia. Um, so, you know, I don't think Putin wants to reinstate the Soviet Union. What he wants is the same fear of, sphere of influence and security um, that the Soviet Union gave. Russia. Um, and I think there's a lot of propaganda where everybody in the media now here, at least in Germany, is going, yeah, it's, Pu- it's Putin. It's all Putin's fault. It's Putin. Um, which I think is dumb and, and short-sighted. Because um, if you ask me why this happened, is in 2014... There were protests in Ukraine. And I think the EU and the US uh, and NATO supported regime change in Ukraine. Because at the time, 
um, well, there was Ukraine was ali aligning itself with the European Union and with NATO. And then there was an election and they had a new president and the president was rather Russian friendly. And if you're Ukraine, you're right between the European Union and Russia. So you have two choices. You can do all your trade with the, you know, if you're not going to go neutral, which is hard to do in this situation, um, because you're not, not Switzerland and you're not sitting on tons of Nazi gold and hiding in the mountains, um, then you have to align yourself either with Russia, do your trade chiefly with Russia or with Europe. And so they had a new president that was elected who was more Russia friendly. And then we had protesters. And what amounts to a revolution, um, you know, back in the day it was called Euromaidan. Now it's called the, uh, what is it, the Revolution of Dignity or something, if I ever heard a propaganda term. <laughs> Um, I, by the way, full disclaimer, back in the day, I was completely on board with this. I thought it was a great idea. I think I said so. We talked about this on Linux Outlaws back in the day. I was naive and dumb, right? I would, I, I'm prepared to admit that I, that was a huge mistake. Kind of like I was seeing the uh, Arab Spring very positively, like not seeing at all the geopolitical consequences it would have and all the other stuff down the road, which, you know. Of course, in hindsight, you're always smarter, but maybe I'm now also older. I don't. Know. I feel like th these days I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been that that up on it. But basically, what happened is um, NATO and the EU supported this revolution, which made sense because you know the revolution wanted to wanted to align the country with with our interests, and um, this kicked off a whole chain of events. This 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 this. This cause, well, it didn't cause, but it, what Russia did in response was seizing Crimea, which is a very historic move. That that in 1700 something, you know, the, the first the Krim Krieg, the Krim Crimea War. Um, I've done this before. Um, so that that that, and this of course started the war in eastern Ukraine, which has been going on ever since. Which you know the West has been largely ignored, uh, has largely ignored uh, the West. Uh, woke up to this war uh, momentarily uh, when Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 was shot down by Russian separatists, you know, that, the book the book incident. Um, but after that, again, you know, who, who fucking cares about Ukraine, right? Um, if you're Germany, I mean, okay, there's wheat coming from there, but, you know, not not much else. And you're like, you know, who cares? We got more important stuff to do. We've got we got gender politics to take care of. We got to change our energy politics and everything, and then the virus and everything. Um, so uh, last week, when Russia invaded, uh, you know, the rest of Ukraine, um, you know, with <laughs> with a very classical Castle spell. I really, I mean, what they did is like you know when they when they. When they seized, they, they were very smart and very, I, I mean, they, they didn't want to start an all-out war. So they um, basically sent um, soldiers in, uh, you know, took the took the patches of the uniforms and were like, these are not Russians. Um, and then they basically, I mean, they're, they're, they're in, in eastern Ukraine, there was, there is a significant um, uh, rebel presence, right? There was people wanted to break away from Eastern Ukraine. There's, 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 there's been documented for for decades that there's a sentiment of people there who feel like they're disenfranchised by the government in the West, you know, in the, the Western part of Ukraine. They think like they're not getting enough support, not enough money, and they want to align themselves with Russia. So these people formed militias, and Russia basically gave them weapons, and then it's a classic Cold War. 
um, you know, a, um, I don't even, what do you call this? In German, we call this a Stellvertreterkrieg. I have to look this up. Stellvertreter, a proxy war. I, I know this because before I looked this up, proxy war, yes. Um, classic Cold War proxy war, right? Um, and of course, now the Casus Belli now was <laughs> the, the independent uh, republics, just like the Luhansk and the, the other independent republic, the rebel republics, they basically um, asked Russia, the Russian Federation, to recognize them as, as sovereign republics and, you know, join join the Russian Federation or whatever. And Russia said yes. And I said, well, okay, you are, you're in a war with Ukraine. Now we have to help you. Now we're invading. And they were like, it's not a war. It's a special operation. Propaganda, of course. Um, uh, Jonathan says that that's what I thought. I don't know what in response to, but to think about how the U.S. would react if Germany kicked them out of Rammstein. See, my um, actually my approach, if, if you're going to have a very quick discourse on what I think what German defense policy should look like, I think Germany has no chance to defend itself for obvious reasons that I just laid out. Um, in a uh, in a conventional war against Russia, this is something that Bismarck knew. Um, Bismarck said the, the the first primacy in German foreign politics always have to be have to be on friendly terms with Russia. Whatever you do, you have to make sure Russia is okay with it. <laughs> you know, we're talking wars and stuff like that, um, and that is true today. So we can't defend ourselves. I mean, we're way too small. Um, you, it's like Ukraine. Um, you can hold out for a while, but they'll just overrun you. And, you know, with this current state of our military, we couldn't even hold out for a while. Let's be honest. Um, I mean, really, this 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 is this actually scared me. And this was a scandal of epic proportions that once again the media quickly reported but actually didn't go into. When this war broke out, the head of the German armed forces says, basically, we're caught with our pants down. You know, we've been they've been cutting our budget for 20 years. We're fucked. That's what you want, you know. The war breaks out. A war breaks out close by, and your uh, your military goes. Ah, we're out of here. We we got no chance. You know, if they, if anybody, they, they didn't save the Russians' attack because we all know we don't have a chance. But uh, we're basically, I don't know if the Polish attack now. We're fucked. Like that's what you want. So so my 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 German defense thing would be. Um, get the Americans, and they would never do this. But you know, get the Americans to. Um, Evacuate all bases in Germany. No German, no uh, U.S. soldiers on German soil, and just leave us the nukes and the launch codes, of course. And then we just cut our military. We, we just we could do a thing like Japan, where we don't really have a military, where they're just not set up to go out into other countries. They're just a civil defense force with like tanks. Um, so we have like a defense force, right? So, but we write that in our constitution, like we 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 solidify the article that says Germany should never be in a, in a war in another country, not even an attack war. We should never be in a war in another country. We, we don't have an army. We just have a defense force. And then we just do nuclear deterrence. And we're like, okay, if you attack us, we're just going to nuke everything. I think that's what we should do. And if we are so trusted allies of the Americans, as they always say, um, they would trust us with the fucking nukes. Um 
Alterestrichum says Germany wouldn't be able to defend against Liechtenstein in war right now. I think, yeah, I've, I've been to Liechtenstein. I think we, we could. I, I, think, I mean, we have three Leopard 2 tanks that work. There are only three, but you could park them in a line and basically that that's the border to Liechtenstein. You could probably drive over Liechtenstein, just, just flatten all the houses in one tank. Um, so... Yeah, I, th I, th I, th I think we could take Liechtenstein, but but uh, but everything else, um, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if that's if that's gonna do it to be honest, um, you know. But I mean that that would be my defense strategy. But in but what we're doing now, of course, is um, ah well, we I'm gonna I'm not gonna talk about this now. Yeah. So basically, the German response is we're going to put. Uh, two billion into the army right now right okay so in like three years we have enough tanks or whatever um and then um we're gonna increase our defense spending to what trump actually wanted us to spend for nato so we're gonna do that and, and now we're, we're shipping weapons to ukraine right all the fucking they literally the 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 There's several politicians in the government right now who claim to be pacifists. They're now, no, we ship weapons to Ukraine. I mean, I don't understand. I read an article. There was an article the other day in the German uh, Tagesschau, which is like our biggest, uh, that's like our five, oh, uh, eight o'clock news, a big thing, right? Uh, public broadcasting, we're all paying for it. Um, and this just floored me. They basically had an, somewhat of an opinion article where they said there's a sea change Uh, with 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 pacifists and freedom activists in Germany because they're now supporting shipping weapons to Ukraine. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, whoever wrote, wrote that, I'm, I don't call for people's heads often, but they need to be fired. Like, you can't be a journalist and write nonsense like this. Like, not for a target show. I mean, how dumb are... Who, who signed off on this? What Like, what the fuck... Like you literally can't be a pacifist and support shipping weapons to war zone. You like that is like the definition of pacifist is not doing that. Or freedom. How can you be like? How can you know, a peace activist? How can you be a peace activist and support shipping weapons to a war? I mean, it, there's is absolutely no question if this war is justified or the defense is justified. That doesn't that doesn't even play into it. You're a peace activist. You want peace. You cannot get peace if you ship weapons somewhere. Right? You can say, right, I support the the Allied effort in World War II. Completely justified. Like, you know, you can say that was morally justified. It was morally right. We had to beat Hitler uh, no matter what it took. But, like, you're talking millions of casualties. Like, millions of civilian casualties. I mean, you you can you can say that's justified, but you cannot say that's justified and also claim to be a pacifist. That 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 just that that, that just does, that just doesn't work. That just that just does that just doesn't work, right? That's like me saying I'm a uh, I'm a I'm a fossil fuel anti fossil fuel activist, but I'm driving around on my motorcycle every day. Like what the fuck? I mean, ah. I mean, there's like dumb bullshit. This is all this propaganda. This is, this is pro stuff like that is propaganda. I don't think even it's dumb. It is brazen propaganda. What it does is, it's it's getting people who are have qualms about sending weapons because we did, we talked about this in Germany for decades, and 
and we just got out of Afghanistan. We just thought we're done with this shit. We learned in Yugoslavia, we learned in Afghanistan that it's not what we want to do to fight wars, to send weapons to countries. We don't want that. Like these fucking politicians who just signed off on this, they were going on about we we need to curb like the fucking our fucking government, the one I praised for a while there, right? In the in, in their coalition thing says they want to cut uh, weapons exports of Germany to zero. Now they sh like, I don't know, three months into the government or like five, they're shipping weapons to Ukraine. Like what the actual fuck? And it's all propaganda. I another article I read, I think it was also in Target Show, it was like completely pure propaganda. It was like basically why the BND is so great. It was an article that it was not even labeled as an opinion piece. It was labeled as investigative reporting, which was just one guy espousing why the BND is so great because the BND called this attack. And I was like, all right, if the BND called this attack, why were all our head politicians? Why was the chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany surprised of this war? If his own fucking intelligence service called this a weak or two weeks ahead of time. Like, didn't he, did he just like skip the meeting? Like, what the fuck is this bullshit? How are people like reading this? Sorry, I'm ranting, but it's just driving me insane. How can you just swallow this shit? Hook, line and sinker. How dumb do you have to be? I mean, it's fucking obvious. It's obvious that this is like pro-war propaganda. I mean, come on. Jesus. And I'm, I'm okay, just to be clear. I'm okay. Somebody saying we need to support Ukraine. This was a uh, this was a, a, a cowardly, illegal, whatever you want to call it, attack by Putin by the by the Russians. We need to stop them, right? But I don't want you to then ever, ever again claim you're a pacifist or you're against war because you're not. What we should have done here is in the last fucking 10 years or at least in the last eight years while the war was going on in ukraine ever since the russians annexed crimea we should have had like strong diplomatic effort to sort this shit out to defuse this tension now we need strong diplomatic efforts germany's doing shit the french actually macron you can say about him whatever you want he's fucking talking to putin he's like i'm not gonna cut ties i'm gonna talk to this guy that's the only thing you can do if you want peace you we need we need fucking i'm not saying capitulate right i'm not saying uh say what he did was great i'm just saying you you, you can't say we're all against this the wrong thing but rather than send weapons, you need to, like, because this is just going to have more people dead. I mean, it's not like Ukraine can win this war if the Russians don't stop. Like, we can send them any, every fucking tank we have in Germany, every fucking uh, uh, Leopard, every fucking Panzerhaubitze, every last anti-aircraft rocket from the NV NVA old, you know, East German army, everything. We can send them every hand grenade, every fucking bullet of 919 parabellum we fucking have they're not going to win this war if the russians like i mean just look at history just look at the last 200 years and how many wars russia in its very incarnation has fought and how many they won how many they lost they lost like in the last 200 years they lost like clear losses like maybe three wars 
They, you know, they won two fucking world wars. Like, not to mention that this is like really stupid. Because if we're really stupid, like some Americans, some Americans right now are really stupid. They need we need an anti. They're, they're saying we need an anti-fly zone over Ukraine, right? You know what? So what they mean is like we want U.S. fighter planes, probably from bases in Germany or in Poland, whatever, to make sure the Russians cannot fly planes over Ukraine. You know what that means, right? You're gonna send a tornado there. The Russians are gonna send the MiG because Putin knows what he's doing. He's got bigger balls than you. He's gonna fly into that territory, and then you have one choice with your tornado or your fucking F-16. You you can either. Uh, fucking uh you know put your tail behind your legs and be embarrassed and go home and have putin win right or you can shoot that fucking plane down and the moment you do that it's a declaration of war and then you have a declaration of war between the the u.s and russia on your hands which are nuclear powers Right, and then very quickly we're gonna have a nuclear war and then i don't have to finish this fucking book i'm writing which is set in the nuclear wasteland because then we're going to have that in reality it's just like it's why can't people think that far and i have to say i have to say credit where credit's due i haven't linked this in the show notes you can you can search this whatever but like there was an article in the new york times of all places where the new york times went this is dumb because if we have a if, if we have a no fly zone, we're gonna have to shoot that plane down, and then we have a nuclear war on our hands. And if if the New York Times says this, they're as far from my opinion as you can get, right? Why are people so sh- sh- fucking short sighted? Ah, Jonathan says. I mean, I'm pretty pacifist, but I if I see a kid beat another kid with a stick, I'm gonna give the beaten kid a stick too. Um. Depends, right? What we're basically talking about here is you see a guy, you see a kid being shot with a Glock by another kid, you're giving him a stick. Right? Which is a bad example. Because basically what we're doing is we're prolonging this fucking war. A war Ukraine can't win. But I'm going to talk about that later. Anyway. Um, I just want to quote something here because uh, a lot of lot of text, but I think this is very important. So... Um, I can talk to you about this and I can rant till my, it's a blue in the face. Um, but what I basically think is what happened here is um, the war is solely to be blamed on Russia and probably on Vladimir Putin. They, Putin is the one who signed off on this. He's at fault for attacking, uh, for creating this crisis, this humanitarian crisis, this unspeakable uh, tragedy but that doesn't that doesn't mean that the EU and NATO aren't also um, I wouldn't say that they're not responsible for the war but they helped create the climate you know that made this war possible and because of all the propaganda in, in, in the mainstream media as far as I can tell this is largely being ignored and I want to talk about this which is not going to make me very popular but I think it's very important but anyway I'm not the only person about uh, who thinks this? There was a very good opinion piece written by uh, Ted Galen Carpenter, uh, who is like a fellow fellow for uh, foreign policy at the Cato Institute, and he 
wrote a very good opinion piece in an online magazine called 1945. But I found this because this was also published in The Guardian. And I was amazed that this was in The Guardian. Um, so kudos to The Guardian, who's also very far generally from what I think uh, about many things, including this war for, for publishing this. And I, I'm going to read you the most important part of this because I really think this has to be read out because he says it a lot better than I do. Anyway, so uh, Ted and Carpenter on this war. Russia's military offensive against Ukraine is an act of aggression that will make already worrisome tensions between NATO and Moscow even more dangerous. The West's new Cold War with Russia has turned hot. Vladimir Putin bears primary responsibility for this latest development, but NATO's arrogant, tone-deaf policy towards Russia over the past quarter century deserves a large share as well. Analysts committed to US foreign policy of realism and restraint have warned for more than a quarter century that continuing to expand the most powerful military alliance in history towards another major power would not end well. The war in Ukraine provides definitive confirmations that it, confirmation that it did not. Quote, many Russians see NATO as a vestige of, co- of the Cold War, inherently directed against their country. They point out that they have disbanded the Warsaw Pact, their military alliance, and ask why the West should not do the same. End quote. This is a quote in some historian, I think. Um, it was an excellent question, and neither the Clinton administration nor its success. I mean, I'm, obviously, I cut out some stuff out of this, but yeah, um, this uh, he goes on about how Clinton basically started this whole thing uh, by by pushing for NATO expansion eastwards. Um, it, uh, after Cold War ended, um, it was an excellent question, and neither the Clinton administration nor its successors provided even a remotely convincing answer. George Cannon, the intellectual father of American containment policy during the Cold War, perceptively warned in a May uh, 2, 1998 New York Times interview about what the Senate ratification of NATO's first round of expansion would set in motion. Quote, I think it is the beginning of a new Cold War, Cannon stated. I think the Russians will gradually react quite adversely and and it will affect their policies. I think it's a tragic mistake. There was no reason for this whatsoever. No one's threatening. No one. No one was threatening anybody else, except like a power grab, right? This is a power. It was a power grab, and it still is. He was right, but U.S. and NATO leaders proceeded with new rounds of expansions, including the provocative step of adding the three Baltic republics. Those countries not only had been part of the Soviet Union, but they had also been part of Russia's empire during the Tsarist era. That wave of expansion now had NATO perched on the border of the Russian Federation. Moscow's patience with NATO's ever more intrusive behavior was wearing thin. The last reasonably friendly warning from Russia that the alliance needed to back off came in March 2007 when Putin addressed the annual Munich Security Conference. Quote, NATO has put its frontline forces on our borders, Putin complained. NATO expansion, quote, represents a serious provocation that reduces the level of mutual trust. And we have the right to ask against whom is this expansion intended? Typical Putin rhetoric there. And what happened to the assurances our Western partners made after the dissolution of the Warsaw Pact? Um, as uh, you know, Necros pointed out in, in the forum, uh, one of our Russian producers, of course, as I said earlier, um, NATO always had a common border with the Warsaw Pact. Well, common borders, uh, to be honest. So that's a bit of you know, that's not right. That's, you know, it's just a bit of propaganda pretty much. Um, but, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's coming from both sides. Um, but, um, yeah, so so one thing I want to make clear, I agree with most of this. Um, one thing I want to make clear is I'm not blaming countries like, you know, the Baltic Republics. They're tiny, right? 
and it used to be Russia. So they want to be independent. Um, so their only choice is to ask for NATO membership, right? I'm not blaming them. Um, I'm blaming NATO for granting them <laughs> NATO membership. And you could have probably, I mean, you could have probably granted the Baltic Republics or, or just Poland or whatever, but like continuing to just do it, do it, uh, it's just dumb. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously dumb. It's like short-sighted. Anyway, uh, continuing in this article. The following year, the Kremlin demonstrated that its discontent with NATO's continuing incursions into Russia's security zone, so that's the, the, the buffer states I was talking about, you know, that Stalin created, um, into Russia's security zone had moved beyond verbal objections. Moscow exploited a foolish provocation by Georgia's pro-Western government to launch a military offensive, war in, war in Europe, uh, to launch a military offensive that brought Russian troops to the outskirts of the capital. Thereafter, Russia permanently detached two secessionist-minded Georgian regions and put them under effective Russian control. So they've been doing this uh, since 2008, right? So the thing that they, do, they were doing in Ukraine in, uh, in uh, 2014, they've, they've done in 2008 in Georgia. Western, especially U.S. leaders, continue to blow through red warning light after red warning light, however. The Obama administration shockingly, the Obama administration's shockingly arrogant meddling in Ukraine's internal politically, put, political affairs in 2013 and 14 um, to help demonstrators overthrow Ukraine's elected pro-Russia president was the single most brazen provo provocation and it caused tensions to spike. Moscow immediately responded by seizing and annexing Crimea and a new Cold War was underway with a vengeance. Well, you know, I mean, you could argue it's a hot war, but basically that was a, until last week, um, that was a, um, a proxy war, which interestingly in the Cold War never escalated, right? Um, things have changed. Um, events during the past few months const constituted the last chance to avoid a hot war in Eastern Europe. Putin demanded that NATO provide guarantees to several security issues. Specifically, the Kremlin wanted binding assurances that the alliance would reduce the scope of its growing military presence in Eastern Europe and would never offer membership to Ukraine, which I think is reasonable. Um, he backed up those demands with a massive military buildup on Ukraine's borders. Yeah, smart, smart realpolitik move. The Biden administration's response to Russia's quest for meaningful Western concessions and security guarantees was tepid and evasive. Putin then clearly decided to escalate matters. Washington's attempts to make Ukraine a NATO political and military pawn, even absent the country's formal membership in the alliance, may end up costing the Ukrainian people dearly. History will show that Washington's treatment of Russia in the decades following the demise of the Soviet Union was a policy blunder of epic proportions. It was entirely predictable that NATO expansion would ultimately lead to a tragic, perhaps violent, breach of relations with Moscow. Perceptive analysts warned of this likely consequence, but those, warning went unheeded. those warnings went unheeded. We are now paying the price for US foreign policy established for the US foreign policy establishments myopia and arrogance. And I think this is true, except you know, I also blame Europe, right? Because I mean of course the Americans are gonna play chess in Europe, but like, you know, we for example Germany, um basically the leader uh, of Europe, uh now that you know, especially of the European Union, um now that the that the UK has left, um, 
it's our responsibility to sort this out. Like even if the US is pushing for that, we should have told them. Like Merkel, Merkel is at fault here too as well. She should have, you know, she should have curbed US expansion there. She should have stopped escalating. Um, and and we need, um, we need diplomacy. And it's quite telling uh, that 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 experts are saying that you know this is not so much of an of a surprise because um, apparently um, diplomatic contacts between the West and Russia, uh, so you know Germany, uh, the U.S. Uh, and Russia, um, apparently were a lot worse uh, in the last you know ten years than they have ever been during the Cold War. So they talked, uh, people talked a lot more, these politicians talked a lot more with each other during the Cold War, which is um, which is worrying because if, 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 if diplomacy breaks down, you get war. And if you get a war between nuclear powers, uh, you, get a, you get a nuclear war and then, then then it's all over yeah so um to to wrap this up my my view is this of course of course putin is to blame for this war but like leaving it there is just like naive and short-sighted because all wars um, are born from situations that are caused by more than one party. And you might think, well, you know, Hitler, but if you look at World War II, basically what happened after World War I, after Germany lost, um, the Treaty of Versailles was so harsh, you know, to the German state and, and, and to a a very young this is why you know very young german national feeling and pride um it 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 very much slapped down that pride and and it was also way too harsh economically and then you had the problem you had the, the great depression right um and um you know the crash and, and 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 people really hurting and and germany was hurting worse than everybody else because we had to pay huge reparations and this this whole situation made Hitler possible. It created a situation in Germany that made Hitler possible. If the if the peace of Versailles hadn't been this harsh and hadn't hurt German national feelings so much and hadn't caused so much economic pain and people literally starving in the streets, then Hitler would not have been possible. Like people wouldn't have listened to his very shrill um, agitation and propaganda. And in the same way, I feel... NATO and the EU created created the situation in Ukraine um, that led to this war, right? So it, it, they're not responsible for starting the war, but if you just assume it's all Putin, um, that would be very like you wouldn't understand the situation very well. Um, so it's not like I'm not saying you know Versailles caused Hitler. So I'm not saying the people who wrote the peace treaty of Versailles, you know, are responsible for Jews being gassed. Of course not. Um, that was Hitler. But they created a, uh, a geopolitical sphere that Hitler could exploit. 
and 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 that Hitler Hitler used to his advantage. Um, and and the same here. I think Putin is also thinking he's using this this situation to his advantage. If if that actually is happening, I don't know. Um, but if you want to understand this, and if you do not want to be like the German foreign minister, um, and you want to be sitting there and thinking, why I have no idea what happened here, if you actually want to understand it, then that's that's the way to go, right? To to also see what the West did to cause this. Um, Again, listening to this podcast, people will probably get the opinion or the, the idea that I have the opinion that, you know, it's it's all the NATO's and UFOs. I don't think that, you know, the war is, is Russia's fault. But we don't need to talk about that, I feel, very much, because that's very obvious. They invaded the country, <laughs> you know. Their tanks started rolling. I don't I don't need to uh, give you arguments why, why I think uh, Putin is at fault for starting the war. That is obvious. Um... What is not obvious is the other side, I feel. Um, and, you know, also you're hearing that Putin has started the war everywhere, if you're in the West, in the media. Um, and there's no talk about, you know, what what we did when Euromaidan happened and how that might have been not the right thing to do. Anyway, with, with that, um, let's quickly talk about what we know about the current situation in Ukraine. And uh, this is quite hard to do because we don't, we don't. There, there are not many uh, good independent sources. Actually, another, I think this is also Tagesschau. I probably and should stop reading Tagesschau because they're, they're bad. Although this was really funny. So I think um, the war started and and they were reporting on it on the first day and on the second day they had a big banner on their website which linked to an article where they said, um, so you need to be like you need to understand that. Uh, all the information we're giving you here, uh, we've got from official government sources of Ukraine and Russia. Um, so, so, so that's 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 what they wrote, um, which which means propaganda, right? Official sources in war are guaranteed to be propaganda. Um, you don't need to study history or politics you know this if but if but just just if if you don't know this just believe me <laughs> that you know that's that's when when propaganda um is at its highest and so basically they admitted to that they, they were just copying down propaganda because apparently they had no own people there um which uh is probably because they also were surprised like the german government they also were not at the BND meeting, and not that there would be, uh, but they they were also surprised they didn't have people in place um, to report on this. So we we know very little uh, about troop movements, you know, uh, of the Russians and about um, uh, you know defensive efforts of the Ukrainians from independent journalists. Um, there's a you know a lot of this based on government information, <coughs> propaganda, and on like smartphone footage from some guy where you can't verify if this propaganda and you, you never know <laughs> which cracked me up because two days later or a day later even like on the same website they had one of these stories which one of these fact fact check fact check stories where they were like oh 
uh, this is why you shouldn't believe any just anything, right? There's lots of fake news going around, so don't believe the fake news. Believe us. And I'm like, seriously. Two days ago, you told me your only sources were the fucking government propaganda, and now you're saying don't listen to the fake news on social media. Like, you're the, you're the same fake news. You just you admit you just recently admitted that you're not more not more trustworthy. Like, what the fuck? So anything you hear about this currently is, uh, is, is uh, you have to be very very careful. Uh, with that in mind. Um, I think what we kind of know is that the Russian advance seems to have largely stopped or been slowed down. I got a map in the show notes. This is the state of today, 3rd of March. Um, so you can basically say, I mean, this is like a, this is like a three-pronged assault, right? So the um, if you look at, uh, at Ukraine, uh, the Russians attacked uh, from three areas. They attacked from Crimea, which, you know, they had annexed and they have military bases there. Um, they attacked from uh, the Luhansk and Donetsk area, which is like, this is the independent people republics. And then, well, they, they did also attack from the Russian border. Um, so maybe four-pronged. Uh, and then they attacked from the north, from Belarus uh, towards Kiev. Um, and those those are kind of like the the movement and then of course they bombed everything from the air and with artillery uh as you would do i was actually surprised because now today they're reporting well they've like completely bombed uh which which was it which city was it uh i don't they weren't talking about kiev they were talking about um i kharkiv i think uh which was uh which was like it's like completely they, they they really bombed and they were like oh this looks like the Chechen war it's like horrible for the civilian population which it which it is but like I mean I was surprised that they didn't do that on the first day um, I mean all I know from like a military strategy is like if you do a, like a conventional like tank warfare or tank like this you'd be you'd like and you're like you know you, you capture territory but then you come to a city what you do is like you shell that city for like a day or two till everything's like in fucking rubble and then you drive your tanks in um but uh yeah so it seems like um the russians captured kherson and melitopol it seems like there were reports yesterday that they captured mariupol which is on the um us of sea down there um but apparently that is still contested kharkiv is contested um and uh obviously kiev is under uh, ukrainian control but is being heavily bombed um i think that video you could see of like the the uh tv tower i think that was in kiev where they bombed like the tv tower um Uh, Jonathan says, I saw a great Twitter thread about maps uh, and that terms under party control and has party presence are all very muddled. Yeah, I think people just don't really know, right? You, do, you don't know. Like, even if you be there, how do you know, um, like, who's controlling a city? I think that's basically based on propaganda, basically, right? Um, but I, I mean, some of this you, you can actually trust, right? Because like um, you, you just have to use like common sense. Like if the Russians go like we 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 control um, 
I don't know, Kharkiv, and then, you know, it turns out they're wrong uh, or it, like, it gets dis disproven, then um, that is not good for their further propaganda efforts. So um, I don't know. What I found very, very, what cr like really cracked me up was like uh, the news like Chernobyl has fallen. Like who the fuck cares? There were actually news. I think this was the BBC. They were like, oh, my God, radiation in Chernobyl. But what? How? Chernobyl is not a active nuclear reactor. <laughs> it's fucking encased in a huge dome. The Russians could probably bomb that directly. It wouldn't do anything. Like, that's the, that's the last thing you need to worry about. Like, worry about the fucking uh, Ukraine power plants that are still active. Aren't there still, like, I think Ukraine is still... I don't know if it's Ukraine, might be Belarusia, but there's still one um, uh, former Soviet country that, that is running uh, at least one power plant that is of that Chernobyl design, <laughs> which, uh, which is horrible. Yeah, so so obviously this map, you know, uh, you, you have to take this with like a truckload of salt. Um, but I mean, I, I think it shows the general um, the general attacks um the, the general you know the the way the the the, the war's been going and i think you can kind of tell that it's i feel like if i was to analyze this right i would say um it looks to me like this invasion uh, is slower than probably the russian military leaders and the kremlin expected um but i think it's also very clear that russia will win this war i mean <laughs> russia is just so much bigger um, I mean, if, if they could just dig in and do this in like in 10 years. Um, um, but like, you know, stuff like, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, quickly controlling territory, if it's just territory for a quick, for a short time, I think they, 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 they have not that many issues. They have, they have more modern tanks, they have better tanks. You know, they recently, I think Russia right now has pretty much the most modern main battle tank, you know, the Amata. Um, the T-14 Amata is pretty much the the, 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 the state-of-the-art in, in tank warfare right now. I don't think they have that many. Um, I haven't seen actually a sighting uh, of, of one in Ukraine, but, you know, they are they are very well-equipped for this. But I think if they're going to go into cities, uh, it's going to be bloody. Like, you know, the I mean, the Ukrainian president has already called for guerrilla warfare, and that would be, like, the thing to do right now. Guerrilla warfare, you, urban warfare, you could make the Russians pay uh, quite a heavy toll um, for, you know, trying to control any cities. Um, because, you know, just look at the two uh, Chechen wars. Um, I mean, the Russians have a lot of... Um, uh, experience in this because they've been through this before but this also means they know how bloody it can be which is probably also because why they're bombing everything to, to rubble <laughs> because that's basically how they won uh, in Chechnya uh, at the end um, Borklet says I think that th they think that tanks disturbed soil in Chernobyl that's why radiation spiked for a day or two yeah but like you know in the, in the greater sense of things like who fucking cares <laughs> um but like I just those reports are just yeah I mean this like it's it's because I'm I mean it's just like the reports were bad right because somebody who doesn't know what's going on they're like oh my god Chernobyl is gonna explode <laughs> um, because they don't know that it's it's been in, in, encased in like fucking concrete and then in 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 a huge dome and whatever um, 
I would say if I had to analyze this, now, I'm not a military historian, obviously, but it looks to me from the general like military posture that the Russians are displaying and from from the equipment they're using, um, that their goal is, and this is actually something Putin said as well, um, that their goal is just basically to um, break Ukrainian resistance, basically to topple the government. I don't think they're there to hold territory. Um, and I, I don't think they can. I don't think they have a... I'm, I'm not sure actually they have a big enough military. What I've what I learned just recently, which, which which just blows my mind, is that the German... Um, so the... the, 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 the uh, okay, let's let look at mil what's military spending. Let's, let's not lie. Military spending by country, right? Um, so if you look at military spending by country, um, you have the US is in first place. Um, with seven hundred billion dollars, seven hundred seventy-eight. Then you have China, India, and on 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 four you have Russia, and Russia is at sixty-one billion. Germany is at fifty-two. So we spent ten million, uh, ten billion less than the Russians, basically, five percent. And our military is fucked. Like our tanks don't drive. We just we we're fucked. We have we have assault rifles that when they get hot, they you can't shoot them anymore like you can't hit shit um <laughs> but the russians <laughs> they're just invading ukraine just just imagine the bundes were trying to invade ukraine right now right they wouldn't have gotten 10 meters <laughs> we need immediately need the americans to, to bail us out and to fix the tanks or whatever um but yeah it's um i think i think um the, the russians are also not set up especially not with the forces they have there uh to hold territory i don't think that's what they want i think what they're trying to do they i think uh if i had to look at this um i think they're doing a two-pronged thing they're trying to capture as much territory as they can in the south and the east which is probably the easiest because there they have the most support by the local population and then they're, they're obviously trying to um surround kiev and and break kiev and and you know oust oust the government um and i don't think they can be stopped by sending ukraine weapons because while you can i think prevent the russians almost indefinitely from occupying the country except especially the cities by you know just doing urban warfare where you know your fucking amata doesn't help you much um uh, then where it's man on man that's what urban warfare is um i think i mean can't be stopped i'm you know if the, if the americans went okay we send our full military we're just gonna do a uh, we're trying to do a non-nuclear war which i don't think would work but like you know um, I think we'd have a nuclear war on our hands, but I think in, in a, if we had a conventional um, war, I think the Americans could 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 you know bail the Ukrainians out. Um, but like, um, I uh, I think as with these two parties engaged in the war, I think the Russians will win this because I mean you can the only thing they need to do is oust the government, right? So they just need they just need to fucking flatten Kiev. And just get rid of the government, and or, or cause, and I think that's also what they're doing, which is horrible. Um, uh, cause just civilian losses and, and humanitarian disasters. 
and 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 kill civilians um because that will uh you know basically force force ukraine uh, and the government to um to, to into talks which are happening um yeah and i think i think uh, just speaking from my personal uh, opinion here i think what germany needs to do is uh, need to help help with these talks and what we need to do now is because this is a disaster for the civilian population and there are people dying uh, what we need to do now is we need to stop this war we don't need to send them more weapons this is not what we need to do. We need to stop this war um, and then sort everything out afterwards. Right? Don't I don't don't care about the Ukraine being in the EU or whatever. Like even the Ukraine existing as a state. This is something you can you can you can sort out afterwards. Uh, what you need to do now is you need to stop people from dying. Um, and and so we need a way. We need to stop with the fucking propaganda, and we need to, we need a way to, um, you know, this vilifying of, of Vladimir Putin as some kind of like a a, uh, a monstrous. And it's the same thing um, they did to Hitler, right? Which is which is absolutely bullshit because the um, the really scary thing about Hitler is that he wasn't a monster, and uh, I don't think he wasn't even that much of a psychopath. I think he was a, just a normal human. And Hitler shows you um, to what extent people will go for power. And he was probably a sadist. You know, he was probably a very... Um, um, yeah, uh, a messagist, probably. He was, you know, he was a... He uh, he was definitely not the submissive part <laughs> in, in the relationship. Um but essentially, essentially uh, a human being, and and that's that's even more scary than just saying he's he's some kind of a monster, because uh, it's scary because that that means that humans are capable of this kind of thing, and you see that in history again and again. Um, but nonetheless, you need to um, we need to find a way to stop this diplomatically, because there's there's no other way. Um, there's no there's no conventional way um if 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 the russians don't want to stop this i mean there is a way where you could somehow force the russians into the russian population into withdrawing their support and that you know that's what they're trying with the sanctions and whatever i don't want to talk about that in this show i we can probably i can do an episode about that at some point um but um other than that con- you know, assuming that there's resolve in 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 the Russian population uh, to see this war through, there's no way to stop the Russians, uh, short of a nuclear war, and we all don't want that. And um, I don't. I personally believe I could be completely wrong about this because I'm not an expert on Russia, um, but I believe that the Western view of this is only Putin, and most of the Russians um, don't. Um, support this war uh, is wrong and you know i could be completely wrong about this and i know i have a lot of russian listeners i probably most of them would have the opposite opinion and if you want to write in please do um private citizen or press contact details uh please there is okay i will link this in the show notes actually i'm, I'm going to write this down 
Um, so I'll do this. I, I forgot about this. I wanted to do this. Um, so in the feedback section, um, I'm gonna make a note here um, about whistleblower form. So I have a um, an anonymous whistleblower contact form. And uh, I wrote a blog post how to use that. I'm, I'm going to link that because you can't just use it. You have to be careful about where where to access it from, stuff like that. So, um, you know, it, it might be prudent if you're in Russia to use that. Um, I don't want you to give to, to get any repercussions. You know, protect yourself. Uh, that's, that's the highest priority. Um, but then if you want to talk to me about this and you want to give me some opinions, um, please do. I would value that very much because, um, I mean, part of this is... Um, we need a dialogue. Um, that's what diplomacy is. But not only do we need diplomacy between states, we need we need a dialogue between people, right? We need to. I want to talk to Ukrainians. I want to talk to Russians. I want to understand this. And and the more we talk to each other, the more we see that we're all just humans. And the less of this shit will happen, right? Because the people who support this kind of thing, they tend to see people from other countries as as less than human or something like this. And the more they, they see that they're just, you know, all the same, they're all just brothers and sisters and all the same, um, the less something like this will happen. But on the bottom line, I do think there's more support for this kind of thing in Russia than we'd, we'd believe in the West. Um, it's kind of how, you know, uh, it's kind of the same phenomenon where probably, uh, you know, Trump voters were underestimated. Um, because you know, uh, you know, the media tends to be in in quite liberal areas. Uh, you know, in the U.S., you know, in, in California, in New York, and stuff like that, um, on the East Coast and in California, and then they they tend to overlook that there there's a hell of a lot of people living in between who have different opinions. Same in Germany, I see this mostly with uh, with energy politics. Um, where you know the politicians and everybody in the media is like, oh yeah, yeah, we need to get rid of gas and stuff like that, and and they they overlook that there's a lot of people who are just like farmers in the middle of nowhere actually fucking need diesel uh, to go somewhere and who have completely different problems that are often overlooked, and I I feel like there are just from what I've read in the last ten twenty years um, there are probably a lot of nationalist Russians. Um, who also don't feel comfortable about this NATO encroachment, and um, you know some of them might even think like there's 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 a view that people have that Ukraine is always part of Russia and should be part of Russia. Um, I don't know. I think I I, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> plot twist: Putin just wants to join the NATO and flip it on China and North Korea. I think that's a wish. Where it's wishful thinking um, that, you know, from the West, I don't think Putin, I think Putin has a lot more in common with China. I, I just read a, oh God, where was this? I can't remember. It was, I think it was an article. It might have been on a podcast. Um, can't remember. Um, let's assume it was an article. I read about like the, 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 the worst case scenario for the West ever would be if Russia and China joined forces. And I mean, they have a lot in common, including like communism uh, <laughs> or past rooted in communism, uh, even though they're, they're, you know, at that point, uh, I mean, the corporation was always 
bad between Russia and China. But if that ever worked out, we'd be fucked. There'd be like such a economic and military powerhouse. We'd be it. We'd, we'd just give up. Um, um, I'm sitting on Russian and Ukrainian streams for the last week, says Borglet uh, in Twitch chat. Obviously, it's kind of obvious to me that there's a big language barrier streamers in the USA getting crumbs of information. It's bizarre to witness. Yeah, I think we have the... Um, I also thought about this a lot uh, recently. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, World War II, you just didn't have any information, right? That wasn't propaganda because there was literally only propaganda on the airways. Um, I think now we even have, we have too much information. There's just so much. Like even if you, even if you say, okay, there's actually no propaganda at all of this. Like eyewitness reports are real. Just there's just so much coming in that it doesn't help you. Like you can't fucking analyze. You don't. You can't analyze from that how the war is going, and and, and what is happening. Um, I think the only thing we can f say for sure that it's a fucking humanitarian crisis. I mean, there's what, like a thousand, a, 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 a million uh, refugees now uh, coming to the European Union, whatever. Um, that's, by the way, um, that's one thing I want to say. Uh, I am actually afraid of them actually, you know, the UK asked for EU membership. I mean, that, that would be the biggest mistake ever, I believe. That happens. Like we're setting us up for another Cold War. It's going to be the EU against Russia, and, and the EU is not not up for this. Um, it is. It is that that would be a disaster of epic proportion, especially because the EU has its own fucking problems. I mean, we get enough countries that 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 we need to, you know, we need to pull through, like like Greece and stuff like that. Like we we don't need another country that's basically fucked. I mean, and even before this war. To be honest, Ukraine was pretty fucked. There was like a lot. There's a lot of corruption going on there. Like the U if you look at like if you just look at, I just know Ukraine always popped up because you know I do IT security. And if you do a little bit organized crime stuff, which I got into because of, you know like ransomware and shit like that, um, Ukraine pops up all over the place. Prostitution, uh, porn, uh, uh, um, human trafficking, uh, drugs weapon sales uh, if you want to hire hitmen they're all from the ukraine uh, fucking all all the fucking um uh, cyber crime stuff uh down there uh if you if you you know if you if you want to if you want to unload bitcoins that you've gotten it's like it's you it's it's always ukraine it's like ukraine 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 like like even before this war it was a fucking mess like we don't need that in the EU. Actually, I I am I I think if if the Ukraine joins the EU, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for the whatever the Dexit party is gonna be. And I'm, I'm I'm serious about this. The, that would it would be a disaster of epic proportions. Not only from the, from the geopolitical point of view, right? From getting us into a new Cold War, like just an economic point of view. Like Germany's already like pulling more than its weight in the EU and we, we, we certainly have our own troubles but like that would just be um, yeah I know they uh, I know they asked for European Union membership but that doesn't mean you know I think actually technically uh, they can't get membership I, I think that there's like some but whatever like we don't have to give it to them that's, that's the whole point um and yeah, that would be uh, 
<sighs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they ask, but like, um, I mean, it is also like like lots of states now asking to like Moldova, I think, whatever, another small country down there now wants to join NATO and whatever. I think they also ask for NATO membership. I mean, <laughs> yeah. NATO, the alliance, if you attack one of our members, we have to strike back and that's going to be nuclear war. Yeah, let's take a country that's currently being attacked by Russia and make that a NATO member. That is uh, great. If you really want nuclear war, that's the way to go. Joining the US is more of a process. Yeah, it says Jonathan. Yeah, it is. Uh, but like, I don't, you know, it's just like... I mean, I know that, for example, German politicians are open to this and I'm like, what the fuck? What, what, like... Like, stop reading books about gender politics and read some fucking history book, you numbskulls. What the fuck are you doing? It's, um, it's, 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 it's a mess. But yeah, so that's, that's, I don't know. We, we don't know that much what's, that's going on, but I'm going to keep an eye on it, uh, obviously. I uh, got some links in the show notes. If you want to know about, uh, you know, some there's, uh, Wikipedia has a timeline for what it's worth, uh, for how much we can trust it. There's some maps. Um, I, I got a I got a link to the uh, tank en- encyclopedia if you want to look up uh, current Russian tanks. Which, if you like me, if you're into Sabaton and, and World of Tanks, might be interesting. Um, right, uh, let's talk about the feedback um I'm, I'm saying this because i don't know forgot which is this the normal bumper i think this is still the normal bumper i don't know how to do this show anymore it's embarrassing there's always obviously a lot of feedback came in when i was writing my book and uh still i haven't looked at everything uh, my emails overflowing the forums overflowing uh, but i'm working through it <clears throat> And uh, uh, there, uh, we first had uh, Steve Hose wrote me an email. Uh, been, been a long time supporter of the show. Um, he says, uh, "So things are crazy in Europe." Uh, he's from the U.S. Germany is stepping up defense spending, diversifying natural gas. By that he means we're building LNG terminals to buy your gas, the Russian gas. <laughs> Which, is, by the way, something Trump pushed for. Um, and selling weapons to Ukraine. Yeah. I think it might be time for an episode that is just a state of the union from the man on the street in Europe. Well, I, you know, I gave you my view, which isn't so much man on the street. It's more like a hobby historian uh, in COVID isolation. Um, uh, SARS-CoV-2 isolation. I'm sorry. Nobody has COVID here. Uh, not yet. Or hopefully not yet. Uh, knock on wood. Um, and then... St- Steven also asked me, uh, I'd like to know your opinion of DW, uh, Deutsche Welle. I watch Deutsche Welle and BBC for news, mostly because compared to the US news station, news stations, they seem even handed and have more world news. US news people seem to put a cat stuck in a tree on the news before war in Africa. Uh, Africa? What is that? Never heard of no, no Africa. Um, yeah, so Deutsche Welle, uh, I have a, I, I, I have to say, uh, I, I don't. My opinion of Deutsche Welle is not very high. 
Um, some of this is historically because Deutsche Welle was very much the German, um, uh, what's that, uh, Voice of America, uh, which, you know, Voice of America was a CIA outfit. Deutsche Welle was also pretty much a spy outfit. Uh, it's propaganda. Uh, Deutsche Welle was doing Cold War was a propaganda um, news service. Um, and it was, you know, it, it was founded to uh, to promote German interests, basically. Um, it has transitioned to being a normal, if you could call that, you know, a, a public broadcaster. Um, but it actually only used to be a few years ago. I think I talked about this on the show at some point. It's just a few years ago that they actually changed their whole charter and everything, whatever their incorporation thing. Um, to be truly independent. So they're now truly independent. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying they're propaganda uh, or more than anybody else these days um, or, or willing propaganda like they used to be in the Cold War. I just, I'm wary of them because of those um, historic reasons. And then I have a very personal uh, reason to not like them because when I was in Bonn, uh, you know, I always kind of wanted to be a journalist, but when I was studying, I didn't do an internship like everybody for free because that's why I didn't become a journalist then because I had a well-paying IT job that I did during my studies. And I was like, I can either get like 10 euros 50 an hour uh, or I can get nothing an hour. So I'm going to do this. Um, but I know quite a few people who went to Deutsche Welle or wanted to go to Deutsche Welle. They are, they are situated in Bonn. Um, and it's, it was basically like a government job back then and everybody who went there just wanted to go there because it's a safe job not because they wanted to do good journalism uh, and that's not really something I like so I'm wary of them but on the other hand as you said if you're in the US it's bound to be better European news than whatever CNN puts on the air <laughs> it's, just, it's gonna be better than Tucker Carlson I guess. Um, so, you know, that's my opinion of Deutsche Welle. If, so, if I have actually have listeners who work for Deutsche Welle and they disagree, or somebody else disagrees, please, private citizen the press, you know me. I, I want your opinion. Um, I'm not I'm not prepared to say I was wrong. Um, and then we <laughs> interesting discussion uh, prompted by episode 108. Uh, it's very lighthearted. Now, this is all about Canadian accents. We had uh, Petit Michel, Petit, Petit Michel, uh, Petit Michel is responding and says, uh, uh, read the Canadian maritime accent. Uh, I don't know about Bud. That may be a PEI thing. But Buddy was really common. It always annoyed me being called it from as associating it with the possibly unique way of using it as a subject in sentences along the lines of, then Buddy goes and takes a leak behind the statue with the frigging cops in full view. You know, kind of pejoratively. Uh, my mum might correct me, but I'd say PI the PI accent is pretty close to the mainland Nova Scotia accent. To get a sense of that, watch an episode of Trailer Park Boys. I've, I've watched many episodes of Trailer Park Boys in my life. I have to say, I started watching, I had no idea that I was Canadian. I just thought they were American hillbillies. I'm sorry. Uh, the main characters are caricatures, uh, though some guys really talk like that. But I don't hear the accent in others, which, which must mean it's more or less the mainstream accent. There's variation, though. 
somehow the Cape Breton accent is quite different from PI from the PI one, despite them both being islands near each other. Well, they're islands, island people. They're like mountain people. Are weird. They get they develop their own culture very quickly. Um, then I could sometimes barely understand my grandfather's grand Manon accent. I even know, don't even know where that is. Uh, that's more like the main, most northeast state in the U.S. accent. I know about the main accent because of Stephen King. Um, Maine is weird. Um, if you broaden out the, to Atlantic Canada to include Newfoundland, then it gets really interesting. They have a whole vernacular and accent distinct enough to attract attention of linguists. Oh, so kind of like East Frisian, probably. Commentary for a Newfoundland detective show. Uh, the commentary for a Newfoundland detective show called Republic of Doyle described the respect they had for their Irish cast member Sean McGinley for having mastered it. Often people try, but always they fail. For example, C Russell Crowe was nice enough to cameo on the show, which they loved, but his attempt was quite poor. Well, he is Russell, Russell Crowe. <laughs> can't even. I, I feel like he can't even pull off American uh, <laughs> convincingly. Uh, to the Steve B, who also is originally from Canada, I think, um, although lives in the US, replied, as I've actually just finished listening to his podcast, I will directly answer Fab's question about his attempt at a well, attempt at a Maritimes accent. I do not think there is one single accent. New Brunswick has a very slight accent. I need to talk to Deadly Slob. There's no way around this. <laughs> uh, New Br I need to interview him. Uh, New Brunswick has a very slight accent that you could probably copy as does Nova Scotia. The wildcard here is Newfoundland, she says too. Uh, Newfie is a Canadian equivalent of Mississippi in the States. While the words you said would be stereotypical of something I have actually heard them say, they're very easygoing. The sound of them saying it leaves the average person staring and wondering what was said. <laughs> if we have an actual Newfie here, it would be great if they would send Fab a recording of actual Newfie talk. I'm down for this. Please do this. I'm told a possible comparison would be a German speaker listening to Bavaria. Yeah, Bavaria is just fucking weird. No idea what they're saying when they're talking. Anyway, um, we also had some, these two guys, uh, the Canadians, Canadian producers also had a, in another topic, uh, a much more serious discussion about the trucker protests, which is one of the topics I definitely want to talk about, um, especially after they started cutting off their money uh, you know the banks and all that that's that's prime private citizen like new world order great reset bullshit that we need to talk about um so i always been reading that thread so please please keep me updated on the trucker protest actually i would have made that the first show um if putin the asshole uh hadn't attacked ukraine oh by the way vladimir if you are listening right uh I, 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 I got the Russian friend here wants to tell you something. That's what we think about attacking Ukraine on the uh, private citizen. Suka blood. Anyway, um, please, if you have if you have something uh, to tell me about this, about anything really, please do. 
please contact me. I appreciate feedback. It's the best thing ever. And I will put a link to all of that. There's a link to everything. If you go to the show notes, privatecitizen.press, this episode slash episode uh, slash 109, there's a producer feedback section down below all the feedback. It has uh, links to everything. I will put a specific link to the blog post about the whistleblower contact form into this episode for obvious reasons. Uh, better do a Russian army ship go fuck yourself meme it's epic <laughs> I actually haven't seen that one um, yes so uh, please, please do that and uh, with that we come to the end of the show uh, which means uh, we have to talk about everybody who uh, helped make it happen Borklet says, yeah, I'm missing out on the memes. Yeah, that's the reason I'm missing out on the memes. I cut myself off the internet for a month or as much as I could to write, to finish my novel, which was uh, very painful, by the way. Um, I have a newfound appreciation where people write novels, I have to say. Um, it doesn't make sense to George R. R. Martin yet, not after his like, naked jumping on the on the trampoline, just giving a big middle finger to his fans basically but uh, everybody else everybody else um, anyway uh, let's talk about um, you know um, people support the show and you know I, I have to thank everybody uh, profoundly because I've been I've been not doing episodes a month and I didn't have a single Patreon supporter jump off the chip they were all like he's gonna come back and we're gonna keep paying him and I, I think that's great thank you thanks to all of you um, I cannot say thank you enough uh, for the trust. Uh, as I said, I will make up all these episodes to you um, post-haste. Um, so, yes. So, if you want to support the show, there's a Patreon. Um, it's It starts at a very small amount. It's like a monthly thing. It starts at basically a dollar plus taxes. Um, uh, there, you can you can support me with more, but, you know, it just anything helps. Um, I'm trying to stay afloat here. Uh, petrol is, uh, is, is two euros... Uh, a liter now uh, in, uh, in 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 Germany, which is great because I was like, hey, they're starting to have events again, right? So I, I I'm yeah I'm a freelancer, right? And 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 paying the bills with journalism is hard. So um, I went into like um, hosting live events, which pays better, and I'd love doing. And I was like, oh, this is great! I can earn some money, and I started doing it. Bam! Pandemic happens. It's all gone. <laughs> And now, finally, we have live events again, but that means I actually have to go somewhere, uh, you know, drive somewhere, whatever. And it's like, no, the petrol's expensive. And I still haven't bought a graphics card. I still need a, gra- I need a graphics card. I need Elden Ring. So uh, so you guys need to support me. Uh, and I, I thank everybody who does. <clears throat> and my voice giving out, so I still have some something to lubricate. Jonathan says, we just like giving you money to fuck around. It's not a podcast subscription. Dude, whatever. <laughs> you know, if it makes uh, you happy and it helps me do what I like doing, it's, it's isn't it awesome? Um, yes, but if you don't want to do a, a, a monthly thing, whatever, you can also, I got a PayPal uh, address, uh, producers at fab.industries 
Um, that also works. Oh my God, Jonathan just gifted like what? Oh, and I have the alerts off because I'm recording a podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Obviously, recording this on Twitch. And this was going to be the next thing I'm going to do. Thank everybody. And thank my Twitch subscribers. Jonathan is one. So he just gifted how many? You're gifting five subscriptions. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it um, very much. Um, I'm, 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 I'm sorry the alerts are off. Um, thank you. Um, also, you know, you know what I appreciate? I, I know for a fact that Jonathan um, probably doesn't agree with uh, quite a lot of things I've said today, um, but he's still supporting me. And then that's, that, that's, that's amazing. Um, anyway, let's thank everybody. Um, that's how the value for value model works. Um, so thanks to all my uh, Patreon subscribers and everybody who uh, supported the show via PayPal. Uh, for this episode, those people are Georges, Steve Hose, whom, uh, who wrote in earlier, Butterbeans, Michael Small, Rodain the, Rodain the Insane, Jonathan M. Heavy, hello, Jonathan, uh, Michael Mullen Jensen, Dave1i11g, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Jackie Plage, Philip Klostermann, this, this mix of German and English names always throws me off, or what I presume is kind of like German English, um, IKN, Bennett Piata, Sandman616, Vlad, Tobias, Mode7, Kai Sears, Joe Poser, Fadi Mansour, Dirk Didi, Rizal, Avis, David Potter, Mika, Mr. Amish, Cam, Dave Amrish, Ricky M, Barry Williams, Jonathan, RJ Tracy, Rick Bragg, Captain Eckhead, Astral C, Robert Foster, Superuser D, and no reply. Gonna need to teach him how to pronounce my last name at some point. How do you pronounce it? Hete? Hete? I mean, I, I always pronounce your name English, to be honest. Jonathan. Jonathan M. Heavy. So it'd be like, Jonathan M. Hetai. Oh, it's like hentai. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to call you Jonathan Hentai from now on. Hetai. What, what is this? Uh, just, just while we edit, and uh, I mean, this show has been going on for long enough anyway. Uh, how, uh, where's that from? Is that like, it, what, what kind of German area is that from? Uh, it sounds it sounds like Hessian, Hessian, weirdly. I don't know, but I don't know if I'm right. I'm also I'm trying to find. I did a I did a layout error in the show notes. I'm trying to fix that at the same time. Earliest known ancestor French musketeer. Apparently, that's pretty badass. <laughs> French musketeer, uh, who apparently liked hentai. I mean, I can't, I can't blame him. I'm. Uh, might, might be a connoisseur of hentai myself. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, um, let's think of my Twitch subscribers. This is excluding the people uh, Jonathan uh, just gifted subscription to because they, I, they weren't in the show notes. But, you know, you all be mentioned next episode, which is going to be next week. So I'm going to take care of that then. Um, thanks to Mike the Dane, JonathanMH underscore dot com. Mr. Hentai himself, Mode 7 is unavailable, Galtaran, El Terrestrial Gym, Bacon the Pork, and Redeemer F, who was also in, in, in chat today. And I have to thank Bytemark. Bytemark, who's providing me there a UK cloud hoster, uh, bytemark.co.uk, and they're providing me with the bandwidth and the storage for the audio files for the podcast, which is very important, and I probably couldn't do the show if I had to pay for that. Uh, especially if I wanted to keep up the amazing quality they have. Now, um, I had quite a scare 
over this month where I was away with Bytemark because I think they changed their um their the energy prices obviously went up and they they um increased um their prices and um I got an email that I have to pay for everything now and I was like holy shit now I can't do the show I have to go begging uh, the listeners otherwise we can't do the show anymore uh, but I did write them and it was just a mistake and uh, they took they took care of it very quickly um, even though um, the guy who back in the day you know when I was doing Linux Outlaws uh, Bytemark approached us and said you know we want to we want to give you uh, some servers so you can do this and you don't have to pay for this shit and it's going to be shit quality, whatever. And so you're independent. And uh, the bar- the guy who approached us back in the day has, been, has left Bytemark long ago. Um, but, you know, they're still uh, committed uh, to to helping independent postca- podcasters, helping free speech, uh, which I think is very important. So please... If you're looking for a cloud server, go to Bytemark, bytemark.co.uk. And they're amazing. Like, I mean, I've been running these servers since, oh God. I mean, it must be 10 years now, probably. And uh, I can remember one time they were down. Like one time a hard drive failed. And so they were down for like two hours. And, and that was it. It's, it's and it, They're fast. It's amazing. So Bytemark are amazing. Um, and that's it. I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, I'm going to be back next week, hopefully Wednesday, unless, you know, I, unless I really get sick with SARS-CoV-2 now. Um, although, you know, it's been going for so many days now with like mild symptoms. I feel like I've, I've, I'm beating it. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be back with, with, with regular episodes. I'll make up the episodes, uh, I didn't do. Uh, we're going to talk about more about Ukraine in the future, probably. And um, it's going to be some, some privacy topics. It's going to be some IT security stuff coming up on the horizon. We'll talk about the truckers, which I think is pretty important. At some point, we're going to get Mike back on and talk about climate change. So um, lots to do in the future. Happy to be back. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks that you uh, you know, were here today in chat, in Twitch chat. Uh, listening to the podcast so i'm gonna um the obviously the uh some other credits i have to mention here the uh theme song acoustic roots for the show uh written and recorded by raul kabazali and i'm gonna play us out as usual with some epidemic sound licensed music and this is a song called symphony of the fallen uh, by anthony earls i thought it was fitting today um so yes um See you soon. And, uh, you know, if you're you're in Ukraine right now, um, make sure you're safe. Get your family out there. Uh, Get out of there. Come over to Germany. Uh, We have space. Uh, We have uh, have food. We've got heat until the Russians kill kill all the gas. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. And uh, if 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 you're staying... Him to misbehave. Mm-hmm.